Choose life. Choose a podcast. Choose the IMDb 250. Choose an arbitrary number as your title, then watch it go flying past the episode count. Choose the three questions. Choose a copyright infringing spoiler zone sting. Choose constant interruptions and never getting to the point. Choose we'll come back to that later, but never do. Choose mountains of context and development history. Choose inane awards chatter. Choose tangents that are the best part of the episode. <laughs> Choose a guest who knows what they're talking about to cover for two hosts who don't have a clue. Choose Nolan. Choose Kurosawa. Choose Kubrick. Choose wondering how Capernaum got that high and dread the day that you have to cover the usual suspects. Choose inappropriate smoking and food waste. Choose an optional Robocop reference because the first one's obligatory. Choose bits that go on far too long. Choose another podcast. But why would you want to do a thing like that? I chose not to choose another podcast. I chose something else. And the reasons? There are no reasons. Who needs reasons when you've got the 250? I'm your host, Darren Mooney, and joining me as always is my co-host, Andrew Quinn. How are you, Andrew? That's glorious, Darren. I'm, I'm, I'm doing swimmingly. Um, <laughs> thanks. How, 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 how are you? <laughs> Apparently I'm, I'm was, uh, not quite... Sorry. <laughs> that was time well spent. <laughs> that was time very, very well spent. Um, research for this, this week's episode will be notably lighter than usual because I spent four hours working on that. Um, but no, we are talking, of course, as listeners may have guessed, uh, about... Ah, and I can't even remember the name of the director. <laughs> Danny Boyle's 1996 British cinema altering oh God, uh, classic <laughs> the, train spotting. The research really has been light. Um, yeah. And joining us for this discussion, the wonderful Emma Kylie. How are you, Emma? I'm very well, thank you. I love that monologue. I was not expecting it at all, but really, really enjoyed it. Um, so, Emma, when we got in touch with you about kind of coming on the podcast, uh, what we did was we sent you on kind of a list of, of movies on both the top 250 and the bottom 100 that we hadn't covered. And you came back with a couple of suggestions about ones you'd like to cover, some we're hoping to kind of discuss, I think, a bit later in the year. But one that immediately jumped out at you was this one, Trainspotting. Why? What What was it about Trainspotting that's like, that's the movie I want to talk about? I, for so many reasons, I think the basic line of it is that it's such a good film now I know that's like not a really out there thought but I have a really distinct memory around the time I first saw Trainspotting and I feel like everyone does um like you know and I think it's a film that you can love it or you can hate it you can say it's glamorizing drug use you can say that it's you know too horrible to watch you can't stomach it but I think it's a film that everyone comes away with a really strong feeling no one feels indifferent about train spotting. No one comes away from it thinking, oh, I'll probably never think about that film again. It has such an effect on you. And whether you internalize that as that you liked it or you hated it, it has such an impact. I think that's all a film can do. I think the worst thing a film can do is leave you feeling empty or nothing or not really thinking about it ever again. And train spotting is not that type of film at all. So yeah. And you mentioned having like a very strong reaction to it the first time you saw it. Do you remember the first time that you saw it? I like out of all the films I've seen for the first time, this is like one of the most distinct memories. Um, I was eighteen, and it was that that like awful time between classes finishing in school and the leaving cert starting. So it was those days. I think this was like maybe four days before I had my first exam, and I was feeling really deflated, like exhausted. Anyone who's listening knows leaving cert is like the most horrible thing ever. And my intention was to study film in college, which I did. I did initial film at UCD. And I remember thinking, God, I need to watch a film and a really good film um, to kind of remind myself of why I'm working or why I'm studying. And it's because I can get on and study films 24-7. And 
for so people of my generation who were born after train spotting, no one has gone to watch train spotting without hearing something about it first. And I, you know, I've older siblings. They told me about it. I remember an English teacher, we were talking about horrific imagery and she was going on about the baby scene. And I was like, God, I need to watch a film. I'm also a absolutely diehard Hugh McGregor fan, like love of my life. Um, so, and I watched it and I remember having like, like shaking after I was so moved by it. I just, I'd never seen a film like it. Like this was a stage when I was really trying to expand my cinematic knowledge. But you know, I was watching like Tarantino, Casablanca, very classic Hollywood films, nothing like this. So it was the first time I'd ever seen a film like this. And I remember I wasn't writing reviews at the time, but I remember having to write down my thoughts on it. And the biggest takeaway I had from Train Spotting was it does not glamorize drug use and it does not, it's not didactic about, about drug addiction. It does not try to lecture the audience. It's not a PSA about drug addiction. It's this very neutral stance in it. And I remember writing that down. And I know that's like a very common takeaway people have from train spotting. I was 18. At the time, I was like, God, I can't believe I had this thought. Like, I'm so unique. <laughs> you know, I know that. I know, but 18. 18. Incredible like, thoughts. But, um, and then I had, so I went to bed. And I had a book on my bedside table of the 1001 movies you have to see before you die. And I went to my found train spotting, obviously, and they had gotten a film critic to write a blurb about it. And that film critic had written that exact thing. Now, you probably would think that I was like, oh, no, I'm not unique. But I remember thinking, wow, I had a thought that a film critic had. Yeah. I could do this. I could do this. And I maybe I could. And now you're doing it. And now I'm doing it. So it was a really pivotal moment in my kind of coming into the confidence that maybe I could be a film writer or maybe I think like a film critic. And I, I, it's a really special memory. And it like, Jesus, it got me going to my, through my leaving cert. But yeah, and I've seen it like a few times since. But yeah, it's a really nice memory I have, even though it's like a film that it really kind of mess up people you know it's not a nice film you know it's not like oh but you know it's no. still a lovely memory i have and it's train funny has a very special place in my heart i actually have a poster behind me of the choose life monologue i'm yeah big fan this is becoming a theme of some of our kind of remote episodes is kind of movie posters behind yeah, yeah. Oh, the episode we're talking about the movie movies that we're covering yeah did you you mentioned you're a big fan of ewan mcgregor do you have a bottle of Davidoff Adventure, the uh, Ewan McGregor fragrance? Excuse um, me? <laughs> he has a, I did not know this. He has a fragrance. Does it smell like Ewan McGregor or like the idea of Ewan McGregor? Well, no, sorry. Those are two different things. He was, I I have a story. So I, I was getting, I, I was at Dublin airport. I was um, getting ready to board a flight and we're in the duty free. And what I used to do on uh, before getting on flights is just cover myself <laughs> in like all, all the cologne. And um, I found that uh, Ewan McGregor was the face of Davidoff Adventure. <laughs> yes. And there was like a photo of him, like kind of like standing next to a motorbike, like with his show. Um, and I sprayed like loads of this on me. And I said to one of my friends, I was like, Hey, hey, I, I smell like you and McGregor. And he was like, yeah, whatever. And then uh, later on, we were getting on the, the flight. It was a Ryanair flight. Obviously. We've got like 25 minutes uh, turnarounds. So it's like, go, 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 go. And it was a very windy day. An attendant was opening one of the the, the valves uh, kind of close to the back of the, of the airplane. And the the valve opened, and all of this like um, 
uh, this mist just blew across the, the the stairs on 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 the um um uh, next to the airplane and my my and I think I got the brunt of it um and I was just like standing there in in like shock that I had just been covered in piss <laughs> and uh, my my friend like immediately I was so impressed that I like I wasn't even annoyed he said now you smell like urine, McGregor. <laughs> well played. It was it, it, like it, it's worth getting covered in piss just for that. Just like, for that one liner. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. That's incredible. You you smell quite like Mark Renton um, after a key sequence in Train Spotting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Boy, yeah. I, I, anyway. I do love I do love by the way Emma framing her encounter with Train Spotting as like a point of transition between you know young adulthood and adulthood. I kind of imagine her holding that you know 1001 films to see before you die as she runs down the street across a bridge saying that she's going to yeah. choose life and choose film school <laughs> uh, which I kind of kind of quite enjoy but this is kind of interesting because I think I think Emma kind of mentioned being like a generation after train spotting and myself and Andrew are both very very old people yeah um and when you suggested covering train spotting <laughs> I kind of mentioned it to, to I, I appreciate the, the yes, the, the moral support there. Um, <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but when you suggested doing train spotting, I mentioned it to Andrew. Um, and Andrew actually got, you know, we, we do like the, the stupid podcast thing. We play our cards close to our chest and we don't talk about the movies before we talk about them on this thing. Yeah. Um, but Andrew seemed to get excited about the possibility of talking about train spotting. And I. I think, and you know, this is just my experience, but myself and Andrew are of arguably of the perfect generation to have got hit by train spotting either at the moment it came out or shortly afterwards. So Andrew like inappropriately at the moment it came out. <laughs> or, or like more appropriately a little later on. Yeah. It's kind of like um like doors shutting in our face. <laughs> like stay out. This isn't for you. Um it's not for kids. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Don't put this shite in your in your eyes. Yeah, you wouldn't catch me. Um, but but yeah. So Andrew, do you have like? Do you remember the first time you saw Train Spotting? Um, I'm not certain that I do. I I mean, I have this funny feeling that I might have seen Shallow Grave before Train Spotting. Um, which 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 is strange. But I think I was just in a friend of my mother's house and this movie was on and I loved it. Shallow to put Grave. this in context, when Andrew yeah. says it is strange that I saw an odd movie when I was a child, <laughs> as a child, you loved Laurence Olivier's Hamlet. That was your favourite movie <laughs> as an eight-year-old. I don't, I don't uh, feel like... Okay, go off. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I don't I, feel I, like I like Shallow Grave as a strange take, to be fair. I, I, Okay, so Andrew, so let, Andrew wandered into school wearing a beret and smoking a cigarette <laughs> at the age of. Um, no, I, I, I'll, I'll say that I think Lawrence Olivia's Hamlet was one of the few things we had because my <laughs> mum was like studying uh, literature, so there, 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 there were there weren't like a whole lot of um, uh, VHSs or anything like that. Betamax. <laughs> well, no, we we were a VHS family. Yeah. Um, but um, God, we're old. And um, anyway, the what you call it? I I think it was my my mother's friend. She had a son that was much older than us, so he had all these movies like uh, the Star Wars trilogy. 
I saw at her um, uh, house um, when I guess they were drinking wine and eating tiramisu or, or um, whatever, um, whatever it was. So yeah, I, 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 I don't think I saw a train spotting there, but I, I, I do remember watching Shallow Grave. It couldn't have been that, um, um, that uh, much um, after it, because I feel like I, 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 I thought of them as a piece. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. And that's actually a nice kind of segue then into like when we cover a movie on the list that's like uh, directed by a director that maybe I have a certain fondness for, but is directed by a notable director, but is their only film on the list. So this is the only Danny Boyle film on the list. Notably, there's only ever been one other Danny Boyle movie on the list. So do we want to do a quick rapid fire guess from Emma and Andrew? Ooh. What do we think Danny Boyle's only will we, other? Hold on. Will we do like um, like the final round of, of Jeopardy where we write down our answer? Or, oh, and then or maybe a different yeah. yeah game show? <laughs> winning streak <laughs> oh yes winning streak um, okay right. I'm writing down my answer okay Andrew's writing his answer oh. down Hold on, Emma's, okay this is by the way not a, a bit that works in an audio medium and I appreciate that this was the first place that Andrew went okay so I'm continuing the vamp for time Hold on. And Andrew has it okay three, Emma has it two, two one, one. what you <laughs> Okay, okay. you yeah. both got it. It is Yay. one million air. How much yes. did you bet? I said all the beans. <laughs> uh. Yes, it was Slumdog Millionaire is the only other Danny Boyle movie to have made the list, which kind of surprises me when you look at his filmography and includes things like 28 Days Later and includes things like Sunshine, for example. But Emma, actually, just before we talk about Train Spotting, do you have any thoughts about Boyle as a director, um, as a filmmaker? Well, he's. I don't think he's the most consistent. Um, I I loved Sunshine. That was a film I really waddled into blindly, mainly because I when I was like fifteen, I came. Were you looking directly at it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Um, no, I just my mom got me the DVD on Christmas morning, and I was like, "Why on earth would I watch this?" Even though I kind of like sci-fi, she was like, "Look who's in it." Now this is a phase I was mad for yes. Killian, Killian Murphy. Oh my god, obsessed with that man. And Killian. Oh, sorry. sorry. No. Go ahead. <laughs> what were you going to say? Andrew was going to tell us about the time that he smelled like Killian Murphy. Yeah. Yes, actually, I think you. I think we're. we're I think you. Yes, you we may have, have a Killian Murphy. You may story. have yes, been we, there. It was my was my nineteenth yes. birthday party. Um, Kill, Killian, Killian Murphy was there. We played pool. I think. I think. I think it was more that we were at a bar for your nineteenth birthday, and Killian Murphy was at the hey, bar. Hey, do you know what? He left. <laughs> uh, he, he, he left with one of our friends, which I like. It's one of the things that most amazes me. Like there was a guy who came to your birthday party and ended up going to Killian Murphy's after party, which is no kind way. of amazing. Yeah. So he. Sorry, he, I don't. <laughs> he 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 had. Come... And then he got bored and left. Like the the best thing about like the best thing about that story is the guy who ended up going with Killian Murphy was like it's kind of boring actually. <laughs> so the the writer of Breakfast on Pluto is a a, a, um, a, a father of a friend of mine, um, and um, he had been at um, uh, Patrick McCabe, uh, uh, I think fiftieth. Or I don't want to age him, but we're almost as old as Patrick McCabe. <laughs> yeah, he 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 had left that party where where I'm pretty sure like horse lips were playing in order in order to go <laughs> to um to our um uh, party where horse lips were not playing. Um, yeah. <laughs> 
So it, it, it's, a, it's really a mark of my status. We could only book Deep Blue yeah. something, really. Yeah, that was the best we could afford. Yeah. Uh, Aslan were playing. Um. Yeah. Planksty. <laughs> but, but sorry, we, we interrupted you there with the, the kind of Killian oh. Murphy, but Sunshine, you were saying. Yeah, Sunshine, which I loved. Like, again, a film I hadn't really seen anything like it before. That was a really different approach to the sci-fi genre and I think Quentin Tarantino's is his favourite sci-fi film and it's such a I feel like it's such a random Danny Boyle film that no one really talks about but I love it and what else like I couldn't sit through his most recent film you know the one where he forgets that the, the yesterday oh Jesus the, the Beatles oh yeah I yep. couldn't stand it starring Robert Carlyle as John Lennon to con- to complete the connection to Trainspotting oh exactly <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, I just, I, I couldn't sit through it. I thought it was so, like, mushy. I don't know. And I hated Lily James' character. Like, I, I, It's very Richard Curtis. It is very Yeah, Richard I was shocked that it wasn't a Richard Curtis movie. It was, but without the charm, it was none of the charm. Like, I'm a big Richard Curtis fan. I love um, Four, Four Weddings and Funeral and About Time. But this had none of it. And I have no idea why. Because you have, like, Richard Curtis, really great screenwriter. You, you know, you can love or hate him. He is brilliant at writing, and he's brilliant at writing love stories. And then Danny Boyle, who is a fantastic director, and it just I, for me it didn't work, but I think it did really well. I think it was just so, oh, just trying to take in so much about pop culture, like including Ed Sheeran, and I don't know it was a film that like mums went to. Do you know what I mean? And I, I'm not trying to be mean. I love a good mum film, yeah. like Mamma Mia, but no, it had none of that. So. Yeah, so Danny Boyle's hit or miss for me. Loved Steve Jobs. Um, twenty is it? Sorry, first one's Twenty Eight Days Later. I find Twenty Eight Days Later a really weird film because I know everyone loves it, but I hate the aesthetic of it. I hate the graininess. It, the digital effect, the the video footage, the kind of yeah. you know, the shaky cam. Really? Which is weird because um, found footage films are my absolute favorite genre. But for some hmm. reason, like I've seen Twenty Eight Days Later a few times, and it's a great story, but. It kind of looks, watching it kind of gives me a headache. I don't really enjoy watching it. You right. know what I mean? I thought, yeah. Yeah. There, there, there was a point there around the time that 28 Days Later was made where there were like a number of digital movies and it was very noticeable mm. how they were digital well, was, movies and it, it just felt kind of jagged or yeah, something. Yeah. That, that was the point at which they weren't, they were still trying to figure out what digital was rather than nowadays it largely seems like you're trying to use digital to emulate film. Yeah. Like there was a while where like you had Michael Mann doing stuff with like Miami Vice which I would argue is one of the most beautiful digital movies ever made um which is my crazy movie opinion this week apparently <laughs> but like you, you had this I've idea given that, that like, opinion or something like it i think i said that like michael mann is a digital um is is a director who works best with like digital i was surprised that heat wasn't uh, like digital that it was on film. well i mean that would have that felt very it, kind of. of um like the sort of movie that where where the, that sort of sharpness would have fit yeah, well, very like collateral later on as well. Yeah. Like, but I mean, like there was oh, a time, yeah. like I think 28 Days Later arrived at a point where you were trying to figure out what digital filming looked like and you weren't you weren't at the stage yet where you're like, audiences are going to reject this unless it looks exactly like film. So you could try things like 28 Days Later. I, I must say, I love 28 Days Later to, to bits. I do. Um, really? I, 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 I think it's incredible. As in, like, it's the kind of movie that I have seen and would just kind of uh, watch, you know, when when it's like, what are we going to watch 28 days later? Oh, yeah, obviously. Sure, why not? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, 
I I I I I think it's terrific. I think the soundtrack is incredible. Actually, that that the John Murphy soundtrack and Sunshine as well. Sunshine has like that amazing John Murphy uh, adagio D in D. I think it is. I I, I don't know how much um, Danny Boyle has to do with it, but I can't imagine it's a coincidence. Um, uh, I would say he's very hands on with the soundtrack. I would I would I'll say so because they're 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 always like um, uh, impeccable. And he he has yeah. these very echoic soundtracks where you think of train spotting and you think of like Born uh, Slippy or, or Lost yeah, the Life or, exactly. Exactly. I mean, what, for train spotting, he would actually like recruit the bands and have them come in and watch the footage, for example, in order to get them to kind of sign off on it. Um, yeah. Was it? And like that, that worked really well. And everyone was like, yeah, I believe like at one point he was like, I want to use Born Slippy. And the band came in and they're like, look, we don't we don't option our music for movies. It's not something we do. You know, it's the 90s. We're very nervous about selling out. Nobody wants to be like Moby will be in a couple of years. Yeah. But he shows in the footage and they're like, yeah, use whatever you want. Take whatever you want. <laughs> oh my um, God. Uh, and I mean, I kind of, I kind of, you know, and then obviously with yesterday, he traveled back in time to show it to the Beatles. There's a deleted yes. scene from the get back where he's like, I want to show you this Richard Curtis movie I'm going to make, but we need all your songs for it. Um, but no, uh, but yeah, that, that is a, that is a big part of kind of Boyle's thing. And yeah, he's this very young. It's almost a waste for um, Danny Boyle to do a Beatles movie. Because he's he's hemmed in on the soundtrack. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. What, you know what the soundtrack is. Because like, like with 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 this, I feel like we we think of. I'm in. I I'm. I mean, um, neither of you have to know the answer to this question, but I'd be interested to know whether all of the Iggy Iggy Pop and Lou Reed stuff is in the the Irvine Welsh novel, or whether it 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 it, it, it was something that kind of Danny Boyle brought to us. Because I, I'd, um, if if it is the case that you need to get these things cleared, then it probably was him. Um, but um, I think I think it was Danny Boyle because last night after I watched the second film, I remembered that. Do you remember that episode of Graham Norton when it was just the cast when they were promoting the second film and it was Danny Boyle and the four. And I remember always thinking, I want to watch that. Oh, it's actually like a really good interview. It, when, when, what I'm really surprised by is that Danny Boyle and Neil McGregor actually talk about their feuds in like a really open and honest way. I, and I'd seen it before, but I wanted to watch it again. And a really cool fact about the second film was when Mark goes back to his house and he um, is going through his records, they completely turn off all sound in the film, which of course Danny Boyle is like a real faux pas in films. You're not meant to do that. But at that exact time, um, Hugh McGregor is going through his records and there's a um, big slew of uh, David Bowie songs or D- David Bowie records and it's because apparently I don't know the internet but David Bowie actually helped Danny Boyle and the first film get the likes of Lou Reed and Iggy Pop to come on board I think I think David Bowie had seen Shallow Grave and really liked it and wanted to help Danny Boyle get this music so that was a little like ode to him in the second film to like shut off all music because it was a year after he passed away to shut off all the music in the in the films to take a moment of silence for a man who filled the world with the greatest music, which I thought was so yeah. interesting. Well, that, that makes a great deal of sense because Bowie at that stage was kind of a curator of these icons. Like even during the 70s, Bowie was like somebody who came up listening to the Velvet Underground, listening to Hip Hop and the Stooges and like largely, and it's kind of cool. It's like he became famous and he used his fame to like record with them and to promote them and to make sure they got album deals yeah. and like a large part of like the idiot which is the the album with lust for life on it is the fact that bowie took iggy pop to berlin to help him get off heroin 
um, and it kind of worked. Really? Yep, yeah, you can hear Bowie in the background of Lust for Life. You can hear him more prominently in the background of The Passenger as well, singing the la 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 la. But yeah, the two of them recorded together in Berlin as a way of getting off heroin. Now, Bowie was trying to kick coke at the same time. Okay. So, fair. you know, not not an entirely like selfless <laughs> thing, but it was very yeah. much like... So, so, sorry, Iggy Pop was trying to kick coke or, or Bowie? No, Iggy Pop was trying to kick heroin. Bowie was trying to kick coke. Bowie was trying to kick coke. Okay. Did, 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 um... Did Bowie just give all his coke to Iggy Pop and vice versa? (laughs) (laughs) The problem is solved. Um, Excellent. They just slap their hands together. (laughs) We solved this problem. Uh, One of my, yeah, there's one of those great like quotes from a musician where Bowie just explains that he tried heroin once and didn't like it. And that was it, Um, which is great. Yeah, he was like, tried heroin once, just wasn't for me. Um, really? Cocaine, that was that was my that, drug, apparently. That, yeah. That's generally not the knock on heroin. No. When you, what, 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 I, I've spoken to people who've done heroin. I haven't had the pleasure. They've always said kind of, it's far too tasty. That um, They tried it once and they were like, oh, oh, sweet Lord, um, I can never try this again. Um, this is uh, a dangerously... Um, a good, um, as in the way it made them feel. Um, so the the and I th- I think it, anyway. Sorry, we're 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 probably getting ahead of ourselves. But to to answer the question, and this was me just cleverly stalling for time by vamping. Uh, <laughs> so I actually find the answer in an oral history uh, in Vice, where apparently. Welsh did help with some of the soundtrack, so you'll be pleased to hear that, like, most of the artists were referenced in the book, Iggy Pop, Lou Reed, Bowie, that sort of stuff. Um, But apparently Boyle brought in some Primal Scream and some Damien Alburn and and that sort of stuff as well, and helped kind of, like, position it as a more modern... So all the modern stuff, basically, is is Boyle, and all the older... Yeah, Born Slippy is Boyle, for example. And like, you know, the Lust for Life would be... Although I don't even know if it was Lust for Life, it was just a hip-hop, but that would be coming from Welsh's original novel. I, I remember actually there being a conversation at a dinner party at the same uh, mother's friend's house about Born Slippy and about how none of them could understand like how that's the music that people are... <laughs> listening to Kids these days with their rock and roll and their hip hop exactly they're like um lager 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 you know <laughs> is um is this music now kind of <laughs> whereas kind of looking back at it now and and listening to it, it there 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 is there's something kind of um really um uh soothing and euphoric about it and um Nostalgia, say, Andrew. You're yeah, a tourist in your own youth. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's 2022, and <laughs> now that's what I call music. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but um, if we wanted to say something more about the soundtrack, but I, I think we might actually just very quickly talk a little bit about like the production and the development of the movie, just to get a little bit of background here. Obviously, this is based on the book Train Spotting by Irvin Welsh. Uh, it was written in 1993. Um, the book was not hugely popular in initial release. It was very popular, according to Welsh, and I quote here, with a certain section of the London cultural cognoscenti, the ex-punk band. But it didn't really catch on uh, with the general public. He talked about how, for example, it was famously cut from the Man Booker Prize shortlist in 1993, when two judges, I, l- I love this, two judges threatened to resign Unless the book was cut from the short. Oh my god! Which is amazing. Yeah, they they basically blackballed it. Well, um, 
I mean, how does that happen though? Like, because first there's a long list for Booker, yeah. and then there's a short list. And it was on the long list. Surely, surely list. if there's enough people on the long list, they don't have to say, I will resign. It's like, I will vote against this yeah. book. Like, <laughs> like, I, I think I, it's presumably like you guys, it, like you could overwhelm the two of us. It's just the two of us who don't want to do it. But we'll take our ball and go home. And we'll embarrass you. Are or we we'll have witches? Something. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, why is that an option? Where it's like, I will resign. It's like, okay, then we won't pay you. <laughs> um, this is how Andrew uh, interviewed for the head of the, the uh, jury pool at the Manhattan Prize. <laughs> None of that crap. We'll play some hardball. If I, mean, I like, like it, it, I'll vote for it. If I don't like it, I won't. Um, <laughs> That's my policy. Um, like again, it's it's and again, it's a theme we may come back to the relationship between Scotland and England, which is something that plays through train spotting. Will we Only... come back to clutching of pearls? Yes, we will as well. Like yeah. there's a lot of we'll talk about this later. Uh, which I promise <laughs> we will talk about at least some of this later. Um, but yeah, like only one Scottish person has ever ever won the Man Booker Prize, and that was James Kelman in 1994, the year after Train Spotting. Um, and apparently, even then, uh, the media and booksellers roundly denounced the decision. With one of the judges publicly slamming the book, how late it was, how late. Um, don't, 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 don't we have a very five recent others, um, five on, oh, sorry. Booker Prize? It, it, it wasn't. Was it the twenty twenty or, or winner? Was um, what was it called? Um, oh, I can't think of it. But it was based in, I think, uh, Glasgow. Is that right? Was okay, like, so um, maybe there's some correction taking something place. Something Sogs or Shogs or something. Um, uh, I Anyway, sorry. <laughs> Darren is surreptitiously visiting the fact machine. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect, sorry. Okay, so man, the Booker Prize. There we go. Booker's Booker, Booker, Booker. Sorry, now I'm sounding like I'm born slippy. <laughs> Booker, Booker. <laughs> Booker, Booker Prize thing. Booker, Booker Prize thing. Prize thing. Okay, so winner. There we go. Winners, winners, winners. Winners, winners. <laughs> and we're back from the fact machine. It is Shuggy Bain. Shuggy uh, Bain. Douglas, yes. That is by Douglas Scotland, Stewart, isn't it? Who is a Scottish-American writer. Yes. Uh, and it's, uh, the, win, the win is split between the United Kingdom and the United States. Oh. Ah, oh. Ah, yeah. I know. Not Scotland and the United States. <laughs> <laughs> but also not just like the United Kingdom. It's like, no, Scotland, you're going to share this with Two other nations as well, to be clear. Um, but yes, as of 2012, then, there had only been five Scots who'd been shortlisted. Gordon Williams, Muriel Spark, uh, George McKay Brown, Andrew O'Hagan, and Ali Smith as well. Um, so, like, again, there was this kind of a sense of cultural bias against these things. And, like, you go back and you read, like, reviews of Trainspotting in The Guardian, and you have people complaining that it's just a collection of short stories. It's not even an actual or real novel, which is quite snobbish as well. Yeah. Um, so, and then, you know, what happens is that it gets into the hands of, of Andrew MacDonald, who is the producer who worked with Boyle um, on, obviously, he worked with him on Shallow Grave. He'll continue to work with him on the beach and such as well. And he was reading it on a train. He was like, yeah, this is great. You should make this movie. And they go to Welsh and Welsh says, I will let you make this movie on one condition. Well, two conditions. First condition is that actually I already sold it uh, to another guy um, who said that he was going to hire Danny Boyle to make the movie. So uh, you should probably sort that out. That guy is Noel Gay, who is responsible for like Red Dwarf and stuff. 
Um, so oh, a wow. large part of large part of the early development of train spotting becomes buying the rights back off Noel Gay, who had promised that Danny Boyle would make the movie, so that Danny Boyle could actually make the movie. The second condition um, that Welsh, which is <laughs> um, the second condition that Welsh had, and I think this is usually important. It gets at I think something that Emma kind of alluded to already with this not being didactic and not being um, you know kind of like uh, drugs are bad M K movie is that Welsh insisted that he wanted to push past the social realism thing. Um, he wanted, he didn't want this train spotting to be adapted as a very dour, very serious, very earnest, very heavy-handed study of, like, impoverished young men in Scotland uh, treated as, like, with heavy gravity and bleak, depressing, awards-baiting kind of fare. Um, and, like, he, he's, he's, and it's a really good argument, and I may actually quote briefly from it, um, Darren says, as he prepares to read three full minutes of Irvin, Irvin Welsh's <laughs> um, But Welsh's statement is, a lot of the social realism films that came out in the 60s and 70s were about shaming the authorities into providing resources to people in these areas. And we were in a kind of a post-Thatcherite world. There was no way that you could shame the authorities into doing that anymore. All it would be is making people who weren't in that situation feel good about themselves. Um, so, like, that was one of the reasons for it. He wrote a letter in response to getting the first draft of the script saying, I'm glad you veer heavily towards a pacey black comedy rather than a worthy but dull piece of social realism, a la the big man, open brackets, yawn, close brackets. So I kind of love that, like, Welsh was like, yeah, you can adapt my work, but you have to make it exciting and pacing and interesting. And it's worth noting that, like, as this was happening, the British film industry was, you know, not necessarily in the best of states. Uh, we talked before on this podcast about how international cinema kind of got swallowed up when New Hollywood emerged in the 70s and how it kind of found itself competing for international markets and stuff like that. And basically you had situations where, like, the British film industry had basically imploded in the 80s. Like, Goldcrest Films had stormed Hollywood with Chariots of Fire. They won the Best Picture Oscar and warned from the podium, taking that statue, the British are coming, which in hindsight seems like a bit of a hubristic don't, statement to broadcast to America. Don't um, it sounds they like it maybe that. sends Yeah, it sounds like it sends maybe the wrong message. And it gets even better when you consider what happened next to Gold Press Films. They decided to co-fund a movie called Revolution, starring uh, Al Pacino. Released yes. <laughs> released in nineteen. You, you, you know, Al Pacino feels like that was the big, um, the like the 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 movie that people sleep on the most, or the movie that he's most proud of that oh, didn't really kind of um, get uh, recognition, or maybe that the edit wasn't like the that the cut wasn't um, like, a, and and that they ought to go back and like kind and of look at it again. Um, yeah, yeah. So you th- you think it's a revolutionary work, is what you're saying? <laughs> Um, but yeah, so basically, and then, you know, in the, like through the eight, through the eighties, the kind of like British indie film industry. It's not what I was saying. <laughs> not, not at all. <laughs> not even, but like through the eighties, like you'd seen, like obviously with Thatcher in government, uh, public funding had dropped significantly. Indie film outlets could no longer fund making these sorts of movies. This um, town is turning to a ghost town. Yeah. So places like. That's Pal- what this special is saying. <laughs> About, the, about the, Brit- this, the British about this very situation where she was trying trying to close down everything, trying to close down down um, dance halls, trying to close down football, yeah. 
um and and i guess film is just another example yeah where it's yeah. kind of they 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 there 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 were at various times obviously like the 1945 kind of um uh essentially socialist government where there's like government should do everything and then the 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 the, the, the kind of eventual um uh, retreat the from pendulum that, swing in the other like, direction as well. yeah exactly but, and i mean train spotting is very much like in that shadow things like the choose life monologue is a reference to a thatcherite era kind of like anti-drug campaign things like at one point he literally says there's no such thing as society which is thatcher's yeah. big mm-hmm. like statement as a kind of as a governing figure um and like so like and and it's a it's a sorry it it's a but it's a self-fulfilling prophecy so like i i've i've lived in england and uh thatcher said back in the 80s that there that there is no society that it, it's that attitude that has served to degrade like the the um the the social fibers mm-hmm. like the, the that where 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 people don't feel like they're kind of you know um in um in it together yeah. where where there there is there's there's a lot of kind of um yeah i suppose it it, it maybe it's boring to go into but no, I, no, it's, I, it's I, worth think, I think that that's 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 a kind of a um you could say that thatcher was being prescient but i think it's 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 more uh, sinister than that it's that um it's more that uh, she reshaped the, the landscape so to speak yeah in a, in a in a, in, a, in a very damaging way but um I, I <laughs> sorry, I suppose we won't go into that. Well, I mean, um, to be fair, it, it maybe ties into some of what train spotting is about. I, you know, you could argue that train spotting is a movie about living in this, the shadow of the Thatcher era. You know, again, this yeah. is a movie that comes out towards the tail end of John Major's um, kind yeah. of. She, uh, she yeah. made ice cream. They take heroin. Same like, thing. Are they yeah, so we, different? Uh, well, not if you believe Renton's opening monologue about what it takes to get off heroin. Um, but, like, so, so the British, to get a sense of where the British film industry was, like in 1992, if you were going to the cinemas to see a British film, your options were like Carry On Columbus or Peter's Friend. So like, yeah. it was no wonder that like the British film industry, the bottom had fallen out entirely. Like David Aiken, who was like head of film at Channel 4, like when he commissioned, when Trainspotting was made, was like, people would go out of the way to avoid watching British films. That's what we <laughs> yeah. had to reverse. It was like, is this it is after film? like uh, Four Weddings and a Funeral, isn't it? Yes. Well, this this is the thing. Four Weddings and a Funeral was one of the things that kind of turned began turning it around again this is in the middle of a revolution so four weddings and a funeral and notting hill notched up like 600 million dollars worldwide um thanks to richard curtis for example you know in 1996 mike lee's secrets and lies won the palm door for example uh danny boyle's shallow grave and train spotting kind of as we mentioned kind of made it feel very contemporary as well and as you said yeah four weddings and funeral and like even things like guy ritchie's you know uh, lock stock and two smoking barrels as we mentioned when we discussed that inspired a whole genre of gangster films and like a large part of this was making making british film exciting and cool there's a really good line here um, and it kind of ties into, I think, what Welsh was saying about, like, not wanting to make this feel like a gritty urban drama about how horrible everything is. Where, like, yeah. uh, Umberto Pasolini, who was a producer on The Full Monty, which was released the following year starring Robert Carlyle, one of the lads from Trainspotting, said, I want to make a film about the working class that the working class actually want to see. Yeah. Um, as Damon Alburn told Empire Magazine... 
train spotting is going to open the floodgates for a lot of really good British films that aren't Hugh Grant poncing up the hill. Now, Damien Albarn, <laughs> Damien Albarn had to like walk that back when the Hugh Grant hive came at him on Twitter. He said he was misquoted in that interview. He really didn't mean he very much respected Hugh Grant as a as an artist. That's a Taylor Swift joke. I apologize for that. But yeah, but yeah that is kind of where British film was. All right. So before we jump into it, Emma, what is your pitch for Trainspotting? If somebody hasn't seen Trainspotting, like he just what... thought he just thought Hugh, Hugh Grant was a charmless man. <laughs> um, sorry but like before we jump into the spore zone before we we ask three questions is there anything you kind of want to say as a kind of an opening uh argument on train spotting or an opening observation on train spotting i think it's less a film about trying to combat addiction and more a film of mm, taking ownership of your life I think at a stretch, you can say train spotting is a coming of age film. Like, they're meant to be like, what, my age, 23, 24, which I know isn't coming of age, but the film is not about getting over addiction. The film is about finally realizing that your life is there and you can reach out and you can grab it. And yeah, I think that's what it's all about. I think people always just think, oh, heroin addiction, and they think they're going to get this, you know, really long grueling, but at the end, it's a really happy ending. No, not at all. But it's a film about just, yeah, getting up and making choices. That's why, why the monologue is um, choose because I think that's, well, like, I won't get into it now, but, you know, Renton is a very passive character and I think the film is about him trying to get away from being passive and gradually getting into a more active character. So I think that's what it's all about, really. All right, then. And three questions then to, to get us started. So, Emma, do you think the train spotting belongs on a list? of the 250 greatest movies ever made. And for context, it has been on that list since its inception. It's been there since the dawn really? of time, 1996, when it was first released. It's 100% on there, yeah. I In fact, absolutely... do you want to guess how high this was at one point? Do you want to guess, like, so when it was first released oh. in America in July 1996... Listeners can play at home. Oh, listeners can play yeah, at home. So yeah. right, get a, get a pen and paper. We're going to do the, we're gonna do the <laughs> okay. winning streak. Okay, so listeners, get a pen and paper out. Uh, I want you to write down the number that you think it is. So on the 250, when this first premiered, what number do you think this entered at? Okay. And I'll give you a hint. It's the highest that it has ever been. That's the hint. Okay. I, I, like, I like that Emma's highest. like, I'm going to rewrite the answer now. It's like... <laughs> for those who could do maths at home um all right so i'm gonna have to ask for an answer so this that was this is a two can you see this okay so for andrew's saying 42 emma's saying 11 it is higher oh. than andrew's it is higher than emma's it is number two this was the second greatest film of all time on its initial release, according to IMDb votes. Oh my goodness. Behind uh, what? Behind what? Behind, uh, at the time, it probably would have been The Godfather. Fair. Um, <laughs> I like that Emma's <laughs> like, okay, that I can accept. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, obviously. Like, The Godfather is one of those, like, good films that is actually good. Like, it's not boring, like Citizen Kane or Casablanca. Like, The Godfather is actually really fun to watch. <laughs> so, fair. I'll, I'll, I'll That's what it. you really think about <laughs> yeah. Casablanca, Citizen Kane. Oh, it's so boring. It's so boring. <laughs> and Emma will, be, Emma will be joining us for our discussion of Casablanca later <laughs> in the year. <laughs> no. Uh, God, no. Um, I, I'm surprised by number two just because of how anti-Hollywood it is. And like, 
Mm. You know IMDb, like the top ten are always like the usual suspects, not the actual usual suspects, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, uh, or else, if, if IMDb decides to like have a day with That's it, number you know, 32, by the way. Yeah. Is it? The usual suspects. <laughs> Yeah, we and are desperately. Still. De- yeah. No, to be fair, yeah. it dropped from thirty-one. Like, let's let's give the IMDb users some credit. Well done, guys. Well <laughs> yeah. done. It's like, How did you? I mean, what if it had just been yeah, Kevin right. Spacey, it would probably still be thirty-one. But it's like both of them together. That's that. That at least one one place down. Yeah. Um, yeah. Actually, uh, yeah. Kev, uh, was it Brian Singer dropped it from like thirty-two to thirty-two and a half? <laughs> and then Kevin Spacey to 31. I don't even know what the sequence was there. Of, um, of Apologies, uh, it was Star Wars. Star Wars was number one at the time. Ah. Which one? The first one? Uh, well, a the, New the, Hope. A New Hope. The one that yeah. we now call A New Hope. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, the, what, so, they, what they called at the time Star Wars. What I was yeah, watching. Like a regular person, yes. Um, I was watching is, all like the IMDb's top ten back then <laughs> um, like and, and it was also discovered this new thing called the internet <laughs> and there's a database of movies on it um and it is now currently at number 173 it's been holding relatively firm uh it's dropped as low as 203 back in 2005 and it's kind of crested upwards so emma do you think that train spotting belongs on a list of the 250 greatest movies ever made a hundred percent like yeah without question and I think it's because if you look at that 250, it's probably definitely one of the most anti-Hollywood or the most irreverent of classic narrative structure or that we see in films. It's so different to anything else we deem as great cinema. Like, you know, even if you want to say like animation or horror or like, you know, the best of the best, train spotting just is in its own lane. And it's so, it's like, it's so unpretentious. I think what Train Spotting is doing is that it's never asking the audience to like it. Like, I think, as much as I think it was a labor of love, probably, and I feel like everyone formed a really good friendship on it, and Danny Boyle put, like, his heart and soul into it, it's also a film that, like, looks like it's so fluid, and it looks so, like, almost like, you know when you say that an actor's work is acting so effortlessly? I feel like that's like Train Spotting. It's just an effortless film, but actually underneath it all, it's very intricately crafted. And that's what I love about it, that it's so, you know, deceiving how how good how good it is and how well crafted it is. That yeah, I just think that's what makes it so wonderful. I mean, it, it, we should note actually just in terms of production, it was made, it was filmed, although it's largely set in Edinburgh, although they did use some shooting on Prince Street in Edinburgh, famously mm. for the opening sequence. Most of it was shot in Glasgow. In particular, they found an abandoned cigarette factory, which may count mm. as the obligatory, um, you know, on, you know, the smoking reference in this episode. But apparently they had to build the sets there and stuff like that, which is kind of amazing. As you were going to say, obligatory Robocop reference. <laughs> it's like a, a, a cigarette factory that 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 they had turned into a, a heroin factory and um, um, that Robocop kicked down the door on and killed everybody inside. So that they could move Clarence in. Spotaker. So, so they could, so they could film uh, train spotting in it. Um, yeah. But worth like, it. Obligatory <laughs> Robocop reference. <laughs> but like the thing is that like, yeah. And, and the thing that Emma mentioned about it being anti-Hollywood, the poster and the American poster, which I kind yeah. of know about it, is you you know this because oh, you have the poster there behind you. It has the Empire Review uh, kind of like headline there, which is, and I quote, Hollywood come in, your time is up. This was very much like Cool Britannia were announcing the British aren't just coming, the British are here. 
Um, and again, like, maybe something we could talk about later, but it's worth noting that, like, taking the movie to America was apparently quite the experience, because, of course, we- this... Sorry. I quite like the idea of the Scottish are coming and the well are <laughs> like the Welsh are coming because I think I like a, a, Scottish as well. A, a, I agree. A lot of and are 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 like the um, the um, the provinces are coming as as in like I I I think a lot of great um, movies kind of did in in like even like to, you were talking about Goldcrest earlier earlier like the likes of Local Hero which is is beloved. Um, is is a a, a Scottish, uh, like brassed off, yeah. which 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 is around was time. around the same time, yeah. yeah which is like like Pete Postlewaite and Ewan McGregor was. Um, I think that was Wales. Um, I may be mistaken. Well, was that the Lions, was. wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That when it, where it wasn't uh, made in the eighties, but it was set kind of in in the eighties. I think where it was kind of. It was about the like a lot of the same stuff, which is like you know communities um, dissolving, I guess. Um, so yeah, like like um, I think um, when when we say like kind of British, it feels kind of Anglo-centric, you know. Yeah. But it, yeah. but um, and uh, and where where it wraps up all uh, all of that stuff and just charges over to to um, whereas this movie is very much like we're. Yeah! <laughs> like yeah sorry there's there's very much that kind of aspect of it as well i mean like that that's the thing it is a very scottish text is a very scottish movie and again this is one of the things where because this is a movie made in the 90s we are going to have to talk about terrible people one of the people responsible for bringing this to the united states was of course harvey weinstein who was largely responsible for yeah, the what, explosion whatever happened yeah yeah th- thank he's you that, Andrew. He's, he's that monster isn't he yes yes he is. <laughs> yeah yeah didn't he um, do one bad thing before i think <laughs> just one bad thing only a single yeah bad one, thing. one one <laughs> one single bad thing but like apparently like getting this past the americans was quite an experience like mcgregor said that you know you don't see my penis in the american version you can't they they don't let me take the durex off it for as well that like mcdonald's talked oh, yeah. about how the condom couldn't go in and they couldn't show the needle going into skin for example in I, order to get it past the or rating in the I states i didn't see his penis in the version i watched i watched it on watched apple it. tv and i just want to <laughs> say like i i think i heard the the condom the snap? snap yeah the um and um but i don't think i saw any peen um which is another reason why but you see a silhouette you see the silhouette of it Oh, like, I, I definitely I, see you, you in Grammars as well. I'm surprised at myself that I didn't like pause and <laughs> do like a Mister Skin on it, or a, a sorry Ms. Skin. Um, <laughs> where, where Emma, you but, would be pleased to hear that on this podcast we spend an inordinate amount of time talking about the portrayal of male bodies in the history of cinema, um, which is quite fascinating. Yeah, um, but <laughs> see, it's like it's another it's, reason why Apple TV is bad. If they, if they, if if they, if they, if they have the, um, well, the, uh, they don't have the American version because I know, for example, there's a sex sequence involving Kelly MacDonald and right. very, very American note from Harvey Weinstein and from Miramax and from the censor was you can't show the woman enjoying it too much. She looks like she's enjoying it. You have to cut it out. Stop. Very Harvey Weinstein note. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <as well. laughs> 
Women but, don't enjoy uh, sex. What are you talking about? Uh, I, I yeah, it's, it's women, the... women don't enjoy sex. They're disgusted by our don't huge blackheads. <laughs> um, and, 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 and by our excuse for a penis. Um, yeah. But, but this, okay. Uh, and, right? And, it, and he's looking around at the other people at the meeting. Yeah. Um, and, and like less, you know, in terms of that content, you also had things like they had to redub a lot of it as well. And like, apparently like producer Andrew McDonald and like director Danny Boyle didn't even know this. They found out while they were filming T2 because all the actors were talking about it. They were like, yeah, oh remember God. we had to come into the studio and re-record our voiceover. And Danny Boyle's like, no, you didn't. He's like, yeah, we did. We came in and we recorded for the Americans. And apparently like Ewan McGregor said when he was coming back to do the sequel to do T2, he was watching a version of the movie that he saw, you know, in America while he was filming. And it was like, oh, here it is. We were forced to re-record the beginning, the first 15 or 20 minutes. So if you listen to the American version of Begbie's story of when he throws his glass over his shoulder, you can actually understand some of the words, which is not the case in the original. I was disappointed. I downloaded it on my way to watch to shoot, on my, to watch on the, my way to shoot the sequel. And as soon as it started, I was like, ah, feck, it's the American one, um, which is kind of great. That's what happens yeah. when when you find a stranger in the app. <laughs> <laughs> so, Andrew, do you think Trainspotting belongs on the list of the 250 greatest movies ever made? Uh, yes. Yes, I absolutely do. I mean, we spoke about its its soundtrack. Um, what we haven't spoken about yet, I don't think, is its economy of storytelling, which is something that really kind of it's um, only like 95 um, minutes, right? To me. Yeah, absolutely. When you think about the movie, you're like, there is minutes. no way that's 95. But I'm even talking about monologue at the beginning. It's perfect. Because it, 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 there's, there's no, um, like, there's no fat, you know? That it, it's just like immediately. Yeah. It's kind of like, this is what the movie is about. Well, you can distill and it down. There's a reason, as, as kind of Emma said, there's a reason that monologue is iconic. There's a reason why every actor in his 30s was reciting that in casting interviews like for the, for the next three decades. <laughs> doing, doing a very convincing Scottish accent. Tschüss. <laughs> <laughs> no, let me, let me start again. Change. Johnny Lee Miller is the only English <laughs> member of the primary cast, I think. And he, yeah. apparently he got the role by doing a Sean Con- that Sean Connery impression um, in the <laughs> interview, in the, in, the, in the audition. Which no is way. why he spends so much of the movie talking in the Sean Connery accent. I, I, that is crazy. That's, that's, that's shocking. <laughs> shocking. Simply shocking. Um, um, no, absolutely. And, and the, 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 it's, it, it's it's a very kind of um it's very much a 90s movie and this is a very yes. kind of 90s list yes you know so they, this um, is like this is the bit this is the darren bit darren is very excited about how 90s this movie is absolutely yeah where is francis fukuyama is it? <laughs> the end of history and the last man the yeah. unipolar moment yeah yeah this is this is the um this is the period that um darren's like the machines screw. chose to recreate 
<laughs> in, in the matrix into eternity yes yeah yeah, yeah. like you forget all the drug stuff forget the coming of age stuff this is really about francis for yeah. at the end of history and the last man but it, um, i i think it deserves to be on the list as well because it's confrontational you know that yes. that, that, that yeah. you can you can you can watch it and it can upset you or like, like and 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 at the same time it's um i think it's hugely affirming um, like they'd, they'd, I'd, I definitely agree with some of the things that Emma said um, mm. on, 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 on that side of things. So yes, yes, it should be under 250. I love what you said, Andrew, about no fat. I think that's a really good way because I don't know if you found it, but with films these days being so long and, you know, it's fine, but I was so, it was so refreshing to watch a film where every scene, there wasn't like seven scenes, every one of them was like half an hour. Like the scenes are really short and it kept moving. It was so fluid. But it was such a nice viewing experience compared to what we watch now, which is these really long, like I'm a big Tarantino fan, but like these really long takes, these really long scenes where train spotting is like, no, no time for that. We're going to show you and we're not going to just trim the fat, basically. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons why I love it as well, that it, there's no nonsense about it either. Yeah, it's very propulsive. Yeah, and many of its mm-hmm. sequences are iconic. So it goes from like iconic sequence to iconic sequence to iconic. And you're like, exactly. well, what's between these things? And it's like, there's nothing between these things. They just <laughs> happen. And it, um, yeah. it makes you yeah. think that the movie is longer than it is. Sorry, as in like when yeah. you're watching it, you don't feel bored at all. But looking back at the movie, it you're feels like... there like, must be more. There yeah, must, like, yeah. That, that, how, that, much, that how much space so much stuff that happened and exactly yeah i don't know why i gesture with my hand in a podcast uh when I'm... <laughs> oh no <laughs> we appreciate it Dan. Yeah. Um, but uh, and, and for myself uh yes absolutely for all the, the reasons we outlined i think it's a usually important film in terms of british you know pop culture i think it's usually important in terms of british cinema i think it's usually important in terms of the talent it established uh, i think it's usually important in terms of as a coming of age film as a film that deals with these social issues as a film that yes does embody the 90s spirit and this is a very 90s list so yes all of those reasons i choose yes um and emma <laughs> um would this be on your own personal 250 your own 250 favorite movies ever oh yeah i think i think it's my top 20 maybe 15 but yeah they're definitely my top 20 um for i won't get into it again but for all the reasons we've talked about yeah no it just it has such an impression on me i really think how much a film impacts you is when you watch it. Like, I, I feel like if I watched Train Spotting for the first time when I was like, if I watched it when I was 14, like I'd snuck in when like my older sister was watching it and I caught bits of it, you know, then going into it as like a fully consenting adult, I'd be like, we already saw this and it wouldn't be as, as affecting. But, or, and then I feel like if I watched it when I was 25 and I'd watched all these other films before, because I think Train Spotting was the first film I saw that was really about drug use. I saw Rec Room for a Dream After. And I'm trying to think of other drug films, I can't even remember. But yeah, I think it was the Reef first. Reefer Badness, you know. Uh, no, I haven't seen that one. I think *Breaking Through the Dream* is like the main film I compare yeah. it to. But I saw that after *Train Spotting*. And yeah, I think I just watched it such a good time. How high? <laughs> Cheech and Chong's *How High*. Yeah, Harold and Kumar. No, go to it White wasn't Castle. Cheech and um, Chong. Sorry, wasn't wasn't that 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 was like *Method Man*? Oh. And Red Man was it? I'm sorry, I don't know uh, the ins and outs of American <laughs> drug cinema. Pardon, I apologize. There's a blind half spot. Half baked, um, <laughs> half baked, any half baked plants. There's a lot of like '90s stoner comedies, <laughs> like um, going into the '90s as well with the Scooby Doo. 
Oh, that's I love fair. those yeah, so much. They're my train spotting. That's my generation <laughs> train spotting. Oh. He really misses that moment where Shaggy, played by Matthew Lillard, dies into a toilet after those Scooby snacks. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think I think that's a very valid point because, like, that's the thing when you compare it to because you mentioned this isn't moralizing. Like, Requiem for a Dream is very much like I think what train spotting would look like if it was made in the American studio system. Where, yeah. like, Requiem for a Dream is a movie I admire in a technical sense, in that it is very, very well made, but it is also like having a sledgehammer. It's certainly interesting as well, in, in ways that this yeah, movie It's also isn't. like having a sledgehammer driven through your, yes, through your skull, telling you that this is a bad thing that's happening and it's terrible and everybody's going to suffer because of it. Um, whereas unless, trans- unless you're into that sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> like how 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 degrading no a double-edged dildo <laughs> as to us um, it's like somebody's watching that it's like is this glorifying drugs <laughs> um, sorry but don't I worry we'll, we'll talk about that when we get to requiem for a dream andrew would this be on your own personal 250 i'm sorry darren uh, watch me call it. Um, yes, <laughs> yes, it is. Watch me call it. Of the word yes, you were so lost in your requiem for a dream tangent. You were like, "What is that word I'm looking for?" The word is yes. <laughs> the word is yes. Um, yes, it is on my top 250 movies of all time, and yes, it would be high up there. It's um, yeah, because you were actually excited. like when we talk, like we joke on the podcast about this is a mechanism for like torturing you by making you watch movies. When I suggested yeah. we were watching Train Spotting, you were actually really excited. It was great. Yeah, I was even up for doing like T two. Yeah. I was like, yeah, Judgment if we day. want, if we want, <laughs> junkment day. Um, I like that. <laughs> um, if if we want to do like a, a a very special episode of of T two. Because I, I, I really like Trainspotting too. I, I think we were talking on about it on a previous episode, and I think Jay liked it too. Um, but, okay, so um... we'll talk about we'll, we'll see if we can get Jay in to talk about T2 then. I'll take the hint, Andrew. I'm, I'm making a note. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm sorry. No, I, I wouldn't do that to you, Darren. Um, the reason why it's on my top 250 is like kind of the, a lot of the reasons that I always give, you know, that, they, they, that it, it's... It's it makes a, you laugh. It makes you cry. Exactly. It's an hilarious mm. movie, but it's also uh, tragic. Now, it probably yeah. doesn't make me cry um, as much as it could because there is always it's always balanced more on the dark humor, like with 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 the with the kind of saddest aspects of the movie. Not universe, not not uniformly, but but um, at times, like it doesn't allow you to kind of like sit in your grief, I guess. Nor does it try to kind of like, but it's quite but, macabre, I think. Yes, it? yes, it is, but it, it it it's it it's a different kind of um, sadness and 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 pathos, I guess. Um, which which um which I think it's important to have in a movie, and I think in 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 spite of maybe not making me cry like say up <laughs> um, <laughs> it, uh, it 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 i I think it delivers on the emotional um uh, side of things, and also I think it's about something uh, uh, very yeah. much and I, I i I think kind of like for very personal reasons i think it 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 kind of um 
uh, it agrees with uh, it 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 kind of sits with my kind of ethics and politics and and, and those sorts of things like uh, which which i i suppose we we don't have to kind of like um talk about but i i i think that the the movie it, um the various points of view kind of like put forward are well kind of argued and that that it's not something that people want to hear um, yeah. Because it's it's kind of contrary to the 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 message, um, yeah, of the message media kind of thing when you talk yeah, about these things. Exactly, and 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 like to to be clear, like the being being on message about these things is important. Um, uh, but the, yeah, I I guess we can talk about that later on. But um, uh, it, yeah, yeah, it, 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 I I I appreciate the kind of unflinchingness of this we we should note by the way actually because you you guys both mentioned how lean it is um one of the things that john hodge did was he went through it's very episodic like we mentioned the the guardian review that described the original novel as a collection of short stories rather than a novel but like the idea that hodge went through and he ruthlessly cut everything out i love that the movie cuts out the reason why the movie is called train spotting um like there's an anecdote that you see in t2 that explains the yeah. origins of the title of Train Spotting, but I love that when they were cutting the novel, it's like, yeah, this is just fat. The actual explanation, <laughs> the title of the movie you were watching, innocent. Yeah, you don't really need. It. It's not really important. Um, and for myself, probably not. Uh, I mean, again, two hundred and fifty movies isn't a lot, particularly when I've seen a lot of movies. So it's not an insult. I like this movie a lot. I think it's incredibly well made. I love the cast. I think it embodies a particular time and place. It's just not necessarily a movie I would put on my own personal 250. If I were ranking Danny Boyle movies, I'd be more likely to rank his collaborations with, um, is it Alex Garland? Um, so movies like we mentioned 28 Days Later, movies like Sunshine, for example. Um, Trainspotting, while it's a more important movie and has more deserving of a place on something resembling an objective list of the best movies of all time, for me personally, it's not quite up there. But that's no knock. I really, really like the movie. If this was a movie about Coca-Cola bottles... <laughs> um, would you uh, would you feel differently it's my puritan anti I'm Bob Dole that's the yeah. big reveal that we're He's, building uh, to uh, Darren is, is a member Bob of the Dole. temperance movement <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it just doesn't agree with my politics Andrew that's why it's not on my personal yeah. 250 reduce the tax on sugar yeah. <laughs> <laughs> increase uh, the tax on um, everything else yeah. <laughs> um, and Emma, if listeners have not seen Trainspotting, if they haven't watched it yet, would you recommend that they pause the podcast and stream it to a local device? Oh my God, of course. I wouldn't be here if the answer to that was no. Like, I, I, no, I do I do think, like, you know, I have a lot of favourite films and some I push, some I don't. But I think of some of my favourite, favourite films, I would push this because it is such a viewing experience. Like, it is, you will 100% remember the first time where you were, what stage you were in your life when you first see train spotting. You know, it just, it, like I said before, it will leave you with an impact. And whether you hate it or you love it, 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 it you will remember it. It's such a memorable experience that I mean, it's, it's, to deprive anyone of that. And I don't think I've ever been touched by a film. Not, I've never been, probably been impacted more by other films, but never in the way that train spotting did. This kind of like, 
like kind of what was Andrew was saying was like, oh my God, this is so dark and horrible, but I'm also laughing and then I'm also crying and it's also sentimental. It's just, it, it strikes such a beautiful balance between all the emotions that it's trying to capture. And I think that's why every everyone should see it. And I don't think it's, it's not an inaccessible film. Sure, the Americans might not understand. I watched it with subtitles mainly for Robert Carlyle and like, you know, so, <laughs> you know, that's a different accent of Ireland and Scotland. But, I just, you know, even though uh, Train Spotting is such a film that's fine of, a sign of its time, I think anyone can enjoy it. Like, I didn't find that I, I don't think I was um, negatively impacted by the fact that, like, I didn't grow up at that time. Like, I was watching it years after it was made. I don't think that, you know, took away from it at all. So I think anyone can enjoy it based on, like, how old you are. Well, maybe, like, 15 plus or <laughs> even 18 plus. A four-year-old would love it. No, I mean, I mean, I mean they do look like it. they're having a good time for most of yeah, it. It's a runaway yeah. adventure. Yeah, and there's a little baby in it, like you know, <laughs> toddler adventure. Yeah, they're swimming. There's an underwater sea. Kids love underwater. It's like Finding Nemo. Like a little mermaid I, of rugrats. Yeah. yeah. I think I think if 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 you're like a really lame fifteen year old, then like you know, wait. But if you're a really <laughs> yeah. cool eight year old, yeah, then yeah. <laughs> like that's yeah. how we measure this. Exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. Can can I ask actually? Because Emma, you've you've mentioned this a couple of times, like the experience of first watching it and that kind of almost hitting you like a ton of bricks. Mm. Here's like when you go back to it, because you mentioned you watched a couple of times, does it still have that effect on you? Do you do you still watch and do you still feel that power, or do you kind of like remember the first time and kind of re-experience it? What's it like going back to it, like even with the the years gap? I think that's it. Another reason why I love it is that you go back and you watch it, and you'll always notice something new, no matter how many times. It's it's like a little. I know the term Easter eggs is mostly associated with the MCU now, but there are the least eggs, or the little moments that you catch that you never saw before. But yeah, no, like obviously as it goes on, you are you because you're expecting it. It's, I'm not trying to say that like as it goes on, the impact is lessened, but you're kind of expecting it more. But like I'm a big horror fan. I've seen some pretty dark stuff. Nothing will ever seep into my brain like the baby in the cross. Not the baby on the wall. I don't know why everyone talks about that scene being the worst. For me, it's because that's like a that's a trip. That's fantasy. It's horrible. But you're, at least you're like, oh my god, like this isn't real. The baby in the cot. Like I won't say it in case. Like yeah. that. Yeah, they'll stay with me forever, forever. No matter how many times I watch, I could watch it for the, every day for the rest of my life, even the day I die. I'll never be able to get used to that imagery. And. Andrew, what about yourself? Do you recommend that listeners watch Trainspotting? I give it a qualified recommendation, and I think uh, Emma kind of hinted at it because they're 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 for for people who are not squeamish, or for people who have like um, a sense of humor about most things, and all that is true, but they're also parents. <laughs> Um, <laughs> the, 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 there, there, there is a kind there of are certain uh, triggers, kind of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because, like, 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 try, try making like a a a, a pedophilia joke around like a, a no, no, not that there's. I any love of that. that I, I love that Andrew's like, try it. Go on, do it. Recommend it. That's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I love that like, my question like, was, like, Andrew, would you recommend that you people watch this movie? And Andrew's response is, no. I would recommend something else entirely. No, 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 no. I wouldn't recommend you do that. What, it, what I, what I, what I, what I'm getting at is that. Um, yeah, there's a uh, there's a certain group. Let's call them parents. <laughs> <laughs> if you will, will who will, will have a certain sensitivity to this. 
understandably it's it's um um it's upsetting and actually i i i i i suppose that other thing i kind of mentioned in um a throwaway glib fashion i suppose is also an aspect of this movie that 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 may kind of um ruin it from 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 for for some of our listeners but i i i don't think we uh, we have many of those listeners um i'd say for 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 anyone who's listened to us um up to this point um uh, put this shite in your in your you you've put this shite in your ears now now put this shite in your eyes um watch the movie and um and yeah yeah what about yourself darren Yes. Um, again, that, that sorry for record. all of the cursing, Darren. By the that, way, that, yeah, because I'm going to have to edit that out. Um, because when I, when I signed us up for Apple, I made the mistake of saying we were a non-explicit podcast, and they won't let you change that for some oh, reason. No. Um, sorry, I've cursed. So, I'm not going for it. No, okay. It's okay, Emma. It's it's okay. You've you haven't been on an episode before. Andrew has been on 275. Um, <laughs> It's train spotting, Darren. <laughs> like, yeah, come on. Yeah, come on now. <laughs> uh, I'll just replace you with, like, ra- two random seconds of Robert Carlyle. will be fine. Um, <laughs> for myself... I love, yes, right. I'd love if, if you... If you... <laughs> if you play him cursing over us cursing. <laughs> but it's unintelligible, so it's fine. <laughs> exactly. As long as the subtitles over that say unintelligible. Only American listeners are... The, are they're the only ones who are going to flag us for, like... Um, for explicit content, anyway, uh, there like like the the um, like the mother in the birds who's holding her her children's ears, saying, "Please, yeah, <laughs> not not in front of the children." <laughs> um, Won't somebody anyway. think of the children, Andrew? But yes, I, yeah, I would. Hold, I do beg your pardon. I would wholeheartedly recommend it. Um, I do think that yeah, those concerns that you mentioned, it is you know, it can be quite graphic in places, but I do think that it's it's visceral, and I think that's part of why it works. I think it's incredibly stylish. I think it's incredibly well made. I think Boyle is a very strong visual stylist. Um, I think that Boyle is, that's why Boyle's, I think Emma made the point that his work is highly variable in quality. And I think that's in large part because it largely, he's very good at visuals, but he's very dependent on a screenwriter and a cast for everything else. I think like when you, when he doesn't have a good cast. So when like Leo struggles in the beach, it's a problem. And when he maybe doesn't have a strong script to work from, like in yesterday and Darren would argue maybe Slumdog Millionaire, that's also a problem. But when he does have those things, as he does here, it works remarkably well. So yes, I would wholeheartedly uh, recommend that. With that in mind, then we will segue neatly into the spoiler zone. <laughs> so, so Emma, what is Train Spotting about for you? Train Spotting about for me is five lads. Well, five no four lads and a man. Um, <laughs> that is a confusing <laughs> thing, isn't it? Is that confusing I for anyone else? Knew. No, in the second film. Sorry, this is very much jumping, nope. but I have such a problem with it when Hugh McGregor is like. You were only a few years above. I looked up, there's 10 years between Robert Carlyle and Ian McGregor. They could not have been, even though he was held back for being stupid. He, what, you were held back 10 years? He was very stupid, Emma. He was very stupid. Being a junior infant. Like, what? As somebody who is held back, 
like a couple of times. <laughs> I, I just want to stand, stand up for myself and say, it wasn't that I was stupid per se, oh my it was God, that sorry, I was stupid for my age. <laughs> Like if I if I had been uh, if I had been younger and as stupid as I was, it would have been fine. It would have been okay, yeah. you know. But it's ageism, actually. <laughs> it's what, it's what um, it is. Um, yeah. But okay. So so sorry, Emma. You were saying this is the story of no. You have nothing to apologize for. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, I feel like I started that off really bad. It's about a group of girls. No, sorry. It's about a group of people who are. Um, it's about being a victim of your circumstance. That's what I think the whole thing is about. And I think that very much is the through line of the entire film of being a victim of your circumstance. Because I think what I find really interesting about train spotting is that, especially in Hollywood films, when someone has a really dark affliction like heroin addiction, they love to give you a reason, like a really distinct reason. Usually if someone has a really awful mental illness, like an eating disorder, or they are addicted to heroin, it's probably from a really deep rooted trauma. Like, oh, the dad sexually assaulted them or, oh, they were molested by a priest. You know, there's always this big thing so you can be like, oh, that's why, because, you know, that would never happen to me and therefore I'll never have this kind of horrible disease or addiction. Whereas, like, I think, even though we're not shown why, Brent, like, Mark got into heroin, I think they mentioned in the second film, he, like, he probably just did it because everyone else was. And that's it. Like, you know, you just shrug your shoulders and you get on with it. When in Scotland. Um. What? When in Scotland, <laughs> yeah, yeah. If, yeah. If, if 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 when when shortbread just doesn't do it anymore. Um, yes. Sorry, that is a cliche. I want to apologize. <laughs> yeah. To our uh, Scottish listeners, our American listeners. Oh, Andrew, you, you have no idea what you have just done because you have given me a segue to talk about Scotland's history with the opioid trade because it's yeah, not just it's, shortbread, baby. It's, it's not. Yeah. It's it's. it's I don't. I shouldn't be so excited about that. I don't know why I'm excited about that. Yeah, yeah it's like the. Um, I I'm sure. Scottish people feel better about the reputation that they have for like heroin use, knowing that you get a vicarious thrill out of it. Yeah. Um, well, it's more just history and you facts. You made baby. someone's day. Yeah, um, but no, but I mean, like, so basically, again, like opioids have apparently been part of like Edinburgh life since like 1693. Mm. By 1877, it was like widespread among the middle classes. When heroin was first synthesized in 1884. Edinburgh factories were soon manufacturing it, and according to historian Michael Fry, by the end of the 19th century, Edinburgh produced most of the world's opioid drugs, heroin included. So there is actually a bit of history there as well. And then obviously, you know, again, historically in the 80s, kind of things changed because you started getting cheap heroin from Pakistan. <clears throat> Laudanum. And, and and as as kind of as Welsh points out when he's talking about like the history of train spotting, you also have the cultural factors at play. So you have the idea that like Scotland in 1979 had a failed refer uh, referendum on devolution, for example, and you had the idea that Thatcher was elected in the same year and kind of the stripping that kind of happened around there. So you ended up with this whole generation of young people who had nothing to do, no prospects, no future, no chance of getting out. Yeah. Um, and the influx of kind of drugs into that culture as well. And again, one of the interesting things or, you know, well, depressing things is the idea that around about 20, you know, around the time, ironically enough, around the time the nostalgic sequel T2 was being released, you had this kind of like headlines being run about the train spotting generation where these young men who had been in their teens and 20s and the 80s and 90s were now in their 40s and 50s. And they were all dying because obviously having that sort of addiction for that long takes a huge toll on your body. So yeah. things 
And it's it's particularly prevalent in Scotland. So like it's fifteen percent higher um, in Scotland than England and Wales. Kind of the, yeah. the heroin addiction and deaths due to drug related fatalities. Apparently, like in two thousand and three, I think it was like one drug related death every day. Oh my god! By I believe two thousand and eight, that had soared to three or four drug related deaths every day in Scotland. Um, and, and is, this... is is that ha- is that counting then the the kind of HIV AIDS epidemic? As well. I don't, I don't know the particulars of the study or the survey. Unfortunately, I don't know if that's included yeah. in the No, sorry, <laughs> Darren dives into the data. Um, sorry, <laughs> I beg your pardon. No, no, it's La- laudanum was the tincher that, like, um, say, like people like Sherlock Holmes, fictional Sherlock Holmes, would have taken. Where it's like a, mi- a mixture of uh, opium and um, alcohol. Um, I'm sure he took everything. I'm reading Sherlock Holmes at the minute, and, and I was so surprised. Like I, I kind of knew he did op- like opioid, but there's one bit when like Watson walks in and he's like, "Oh," said Sherlock as he took a bump of coke, and I was like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> like, I, not re- I thought it was just kind of opium, but no, Sherlock. No, I was, that was a bit really, really surprised by. He's snorting serious rails. Uh, yeah, um. <laughs> <laughs> and then he gets very excited about case solving. Um, he's very high energy. Um, but yeah. I wonder, were any of those people actually guilty? <laughs> <laughs> was he, was just he just convinced him with that like he was, a whole lot of red string? Yeah, just convinced <laughs> he was the world's greatest detective uh, while while doing lines. Solved it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but to, to bring it back down to earth and to be vaguely serious and depressing, Sorry. Um, like no, no, no. But like, like in by 2019, there were 60,000 drug users in Scotland with routine or prolonged use of opioids or benzodiazepines as well. You have things like, and again, Welsh has talked about this, about how for him, and this is maybe a nice segue into talking about the Scottishness of the movie. Uh, for him, that was a reflection of a crisis in national identity. And here's a quote from Welsh. Englishness is the norm. Scottishness is increasingly seen as a second class thing. There's always been an idea of two types of Scots, and this is, I think, important in terms of train spotting because the two types of Scots are in train spotting. Yeah. There are, according to Welsh, those who went to London and made it big, and the second raters who stayed at home, and it's a oh. very negative thing. Scots were the losers. Young people were the losers. The unemployed were the losers. And it, you, I think you kind of see that in, in train spotting, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where you have like Renton, like Renton literally goes to London and becomes like he manages to escape. The only way that he gets out of the life is by leaving the country. Yeah. And even then it chases him down and knocks on his door and kind of stalks him and follows him. But he does manage yeah. to get away. Well, yeah, I, I mean, it's it's a weird one because there there there's there's a kind of a parallel kind of a history of the um the uh, proud Scotland of the kind of the, of of uh, like the industrial revolution, or like like the 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 growth of Glasgow as the kind of second city, um, and but that was kind of historical though. That that's historical yes. and not contemporary to this. I would argue, like, and it, 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 and it's a funny thing thinking about Scotland as well about before the Union of them having. Um, like repel the Romans, yeah, and and of them having colonies and a, a kind of an empire of a sort before um, the the union with England. So 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 they 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 had um, Carrickfergus in in what is now Northern Ireland was was it was a Scottish colony. They they were also in south in uh, Central America. 
the the part of the Panamanian isthmus. No, it it was it was a disaster. Okay. Um, <laughs> too much. There's heroin. a reason we don't talk about um, it. <laughs> yeah, sorry. No, um, but no, the, the, it's a it's a you you kind of you kind of ask yourself why is that the case? And obviously, we're I'm I'm certainly not qualified to say why that is. But I I think part of it is like subjugation. I think we know what it mm-hmm. means in Ireland, yeah. um, and that is part of our national kind of identity is that we we um have this kind of um we resisted uh, we fought them off we were independent and and this relationship yeah, that we have with britain in particular but, where but also that, that that we're also a population who loves to be told what to do like that and that if it's not the brits then it, it, it it's the church and if it's not the church then it's like um i guess insert um other... e- easy there renton sitting on the bench in the middle of nowhere yeah. talking... i do beg your pardon no no i i, I it's I... crap being irish we're the lowest I mean... of the low the scum of the <laughs> earth yeah! i mean more like, <laughs> like some people hate the english i don't they're just wankers we were colonized by wankers exactly <laughs> but the, the the this idea that kind of like um i think brits and and when I say Brits, I'm are more mean English people. When 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 they say to us, like, I think they think that we're more like them than we are, because they're they're a, a, a thing that got said a lot was like, oh, now we've le- left the European Union. Now you now 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 you lot can you know you can have your your the 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 same like kind of uh, buccaneering guys, free spirit independence as um as the irish government wakes up to a text message from britain saying you up question mark yeah and and, and everybody like in in ireland was like no what <laughs> absolutely not like aside from that being a bad idea it's it's just inherently not something that appeals to us yeah. um what would we do <laughs> um but- yeah but no, like I think that is a part of it. Like this is a very, very Scottish movie, and you have things like the monologues about, you know, obviously um, Sean Connery as an icon of Scottish virility. You have this discussion about how you know he's an embodiment of masculinity that nobody in the cast will ever kind of live up to, and the idea yeah. that yeah, Renton manages to like get away by going down to London. Yes and no, because they say like <laughs> or they, 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 uh, um, um, sick boy's point about Ursula Andress is that like if if she gave it away to that one um, laddie from from Edinburgh or whatever, he'd probably she'd probably give it. Um, to... She might as well have screwed the rest of us. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Which oh. is probably not fair. It's probably giving <laughs> <laughs> not giving uh, Sean Connery sufficient like credit for his charisma. Which I think we're on record of saying is 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 fairly indisputable. Say what you like about other aspects of his character, but um, he's very charismatic. Yeah, so charismatic he hits women, yes. but whatever. And never, never with a closed fist, which makes it okay. <laughs> no, no, sh- women need to be slapped around. No, we to to be clear, he is a terrible person. Yes, we're, we're not. Um, we're, 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 <laughs> I love I love that Emma's like was we won the world won Sean Connery taken from us in 2016 um, like we don't want to speak ill of the dead um, rest in peace Sean Connery and Jimmy Savo and, <laughs> sorry um, I do Thank beg you. your pardon fantastic um, 
All right. I want to bring it back to something Emma suggested, which I find kind of interesting, which is the observation about the difference between this and many other like drug adjacent movies. And I think Emma earlier on made the point that this isn't a movie about drugs. And I think that's important. I think this isn't a movie about drugs. And I think that's something that gets lost in conversations about it. Uh, And I think that that's like a point of contention or a point of confusion in a lot of people who criticize it. I don't think, and, and kind of Welsh himself has said it's not about that. It's about being young. It's a movie about being a young person. And I think what it really resonates with me is that like, and again, I was a boring child. I was not cool. I was a good kid. I did everything I was supposed to. Um, but when you are You're a kid, yet to have your rebellious face. I am yet to, and everybody's yeah. terrified. Everybody's quaking because it's Absolutely. been Absolutely. Like, I feel like I tried to egg you on, but I'm also, like, scared. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'll be, it is like Torah, 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 where it's like, I feel like I have awakened a sleeping bear. Um, <laughs> um, Darren in his Lamborghini outside Andrew's house at 5am in the morning, just ramming the, 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 the horn saying, get in, loser, we're going to Vegas. Um, <laughs> no, takes the Lamborghini and drives it into the, like, the front the door Atlantic and up Ocean. the stairs. <laughs> Um, but what I, what I, the point I was going to make before we got derailed there was that I think, like, with train spotting, it's about being young, but it's about that feeling of being young and being, like, invulnerable. Don't, like the, don't the derail most, Sherlock yeah. Holmes. The most, <laughs> he Sorry. really loves those rails. Um, the most important thing about, like, the most interesting thing about train spotting is that, like, Renton is invincible over the course of this movie. This movie is filled with terrible things that happen mm. to all of the other characters. Um, but like Renton, yeah. Renton wriggles through this, like some sort of like slippery snake who faces no consequences for any of his actions whatsoever. But that, so, you know, Spud yeah. goes to prison for doing the robbery with him, for example, while they're zoned out, you know, sick boys, child dies. Begbie, admittedly by his own fault, ends up going to prison. Um, mm-hmm. But you ha- and obviously Tommy ends up like he gets AIDS almost immediately after starting to take heroin. Yeah. And what's yeah. interesting about Renton is that Renton lives through all of that and emerges yeah. like he literally that opening sequence where he dives into the toilet and he s- comes out like smelling of roses practically. It's, yeah. a, it's a metaphor he need, for. He needs to learn he- how to squat, by the way. Sorry. Yeah, he shouldn't know. There should be no skin contact on that toilet. No, no, I agree. But the the point that I'm making, though, is that like it captures that sense of being a young person and being like invulnerable or feeling invulnerable or feeling immune just by virtue of being extremely lucky. Because like, and again, this is the thing where like, I don't know if this is a tasteless thing to talk about when we're talking about a fecking movie. But Andrew and I... Like and I, su- I suspect Emma as well. I think anybody who has been a teenager has that experience where you know people who don't get through it and who don't get through it healthily or who don't get through it at all or who don't get through it because they succumb to other things. And you kind of lose people along the way as you grow up. Now, admittedly, I've never you know screwed anybody over to the extent that Renton screws over his friends um but mm. you you get the sense that like as you're going along and as you're reaching adulthood people drop off and and people disappear and yeah. people don't make yeah. it to the end of the finish race the, the finishing line of the race 
And I think train spotting really captures that sense where like I know a lot of people <clears throat> when T2 came out, a lot of people and sorry, every time we do that, I want to say Junkment Day. Thank you, Andrew. <laughs> when T2 Junkment Day came out, I know a lot of people were like, how? I don't believe that those four men are alive 20 years after the original train spotting. And part of the point of train spotting is almost that, yes, they are, because yeah. these are the four main characters who are capturing the feeling of being a young person and being invincible uh, and being mm. immune and like running through this stuff and sweating it off. I believe that Mark Renton went on to have a perfectly banal middle class existence and that his wife and his partner and maybe his non-existent kids not, know nothing about anything that happened in this Not o- Not only that, but there are Rentons in this. There, there's a kind of a, um, I'm sorry, no, I'm not going to correct any perceptions, but I am going to say that there, there, are, there are metadone clinics in Dublin, say, where um, there are a lot of cliches, kind of like what what you would kind of um, expect to attendees. Um, and there are also um, people that you wouldn't expect. Yeah. So the, 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 the um, you know, like, like if, if you're in an area where there's a methadone clinic and you see a person kind of like in a suit with a briefcase, you don't think, oh God, that junkie is probably going to the methadone clinic. But if you see a certain type of person who's like emaciated and yeah, yeah exactly. Stumbling in. So the, the, not, not, not only are, are, are some of these people still alive, but that they're still, and, and, and still functioning, but they, they, uh, some of them, and and we should be clear, like it, it, it's 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 probably not a very sizable amount, but some of them still de, um, uh, doing heroin. And I, I I I think the thing that you said about um, um, I'm not defending heroin use, by the way. Um, uh, the thing you said about being uh, how lucky Renton is, like I find that very relatable. Because I I go through life feeling like, uh, but yeah. for the grace of God, like go 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 I that 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 um, uh, you know that that I'm tremendously lucky and I've had so many chances, you know, to 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 make right, um, and that so many moments when it could have gone wrong, where if something had had a bit more consequence, exactly, mm-hmm. where I'm like part rent and part Begbie. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> it's like never spud never spud <laughs> never thank well hold on no we're not going <laughs> there was we that won't, one time we i was won't sleeping in the that. yeah no no we won't yeah we won't go, go into, into the food waste moment yeah <laughs> aspect of this where 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 presumably quite a nice uh cooked breakfast gets okay. destroyed that's the like if i were the 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 parents there that like, would be the real embarrassing yeah. cause to be like Spud, you You've ruined, ruined our Sunday. <laughs> we my were going newspaper, to have this nice fry. My fry, your poo. <laughs> Not good. Listeners can't see Emma's face. Um, <laughs> but one of the like and, and when I mentioned this not being a drug film, and I think this is something that kind of Andrew mentioned earlier, and I think it's kind of important to come back to because this is nerdy stuff that I care about. This being a 90s film. Right. Because I think this is kind of, and this is a terrible thing to say. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a movie that it's a, it's a description that makes it sound like I am like damning train spotting by using it. This feels in some ways like a British working class version of American Beauty, where 
it's almost like the, <laughs> the, yeah i get that yeah the key thing is that like renton is paralyzed by choice like we talked about like yeah. thatcher and we talked about thatcher devastating scotland we talked about the sense that there's nothing there for these young people but what's interesting about train spotting is that Yes, they are working class, and yes, they do acknowledge that they have to, like, beg, borrow, and steal in order to stay in their drug habit. But, like, Renton has his own apartment at the start of the movie that he can, like, go to and kind of, like, live in. Um, You have things, like, he keeps getting... Sorry. Yeah, every, every, every um, drug addict, though, like, like they, 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 it's a point that they make in The Wire um, that I think David Simon says that, like, the, the heroin addict or the junkie is the archetypal um, entrepreneur that like they, they, they start every day with nothing um, and then have to kind of make their fortune, you know, in order to, 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 to get a hit. Sorry. Yeah. But I mean, I mean, even, even beyond that though, like it, the thing with heroin is that like for Renton, and this is the whole point of the opening monologue, like heroin isn't, problem heroin is a solution to the problem or his way of dealing with the problem the solution makes it sound like i'm being far more positive uh than i think it is but things like you know he, well no it whole, is though it's a rejection and, of as, choice as in, yeah, it's like he's confronted with all these like he he's mocking the choose life anti-drug message but he's also mocking the idea of choice the idea that he can have a life that he can have you know this middle class existence that he can have a comfortable way of living that is similar to the way that his parents lived and kind of his way of rejecting that but he's rejecting that not by choosing an alternative he's he is again it's negation he's rejecting even the idea of choice because again this is the 90s he's not forming a counterculture he's not you know politically active he is a vegetarian which i think is an interesting choice yeah, uh, yeah. he's because he's he's he is to some extent again he's he's a young person he's not a you know the stuff he does is arguably monstrous but he's not a caricature well um, do you do you think it's a happy ending that's an interesting question. I can answer that, but I'm more interested to throw that to Emma if, if you want to, to answer that first. Yeah, I absolutely do think it's a happy ending because I think this is it that like Mark is slagging choice, but that is actually what he wants. Like, I think that's like, I think Mark actually has a lot of self-hatred. And I think that like, I personally see the film, the five main characters as five very different archetypes of characters. And I think that's how you know the film is based in the book. It's a very literary way of shaping characters. You have Begbie, who's the active. You have Mark, who's the passive. You have Rent Boy, who's, sorry, Sick Boy, who's um, in the denial. And then you have Tommy, who's the innocent. And you have Spud, who's the naive. I think that's why it works so well. I think, that, I think it's a very literary way of basing your characters. But Mark is the passive. And he just, Mark actually, like, it, a big thing of the film is that he kind of indirectly causes Tommy's death, you know, with yeah. this kind of domino He sells effect. him the first hit, yeah. And well, he also, he put, with the porn video, which leads to the breakup Exactly, as well. Exactly. But that's from him not really, yeah, he steals the video, but it's also mainly from him not doing anything. And I think that's really interesting. And that whole monologue about why it's shy being Scottish, he makes the point of it's shy being Scottish because, yeah, the English are whatever can i say the word? wankers no. you can say wankers yeah, yeah. okay the it's that, wankers. we stop with the hard f and we stop with the hard s you can probably get away with shite but you can't get away with the other one you what, get away what, with is, what, what is it that colomini said bollocks 
Um, you say bollocks, seemingly. Bollocks, like you can say bollocks in Star Trek. television. Yeah, yeah so, um, yeah, so. Yeah. If, if Colin Meany can say it on Star Trek, you can get away with wanker. it. Wanker. Oh, <laughs> a wanker is Miles that's a Someone who wanks. Um, <laughs> but he makes that point that, yeah, the English are wankers, but we're colonized by wankers. I think that's really interesting that the only thing that's worse than being a bad person is being led by bad people. That's exactly what Mark is. He sees the oh, he sees himself as better than the others, but he's le- he's not really doing anything about it. He's letting himself be led by other people, and that's way worse than being a bad person. Not making a choice is way worse than making a bad choice, and I think that's really interesting. So I think when you know what Mark does is pretty shite, like you know stealing from his friends. Now two of them deserve it, but not so much, and he does leave the money. But at least we're just so happy that he's finally doing something about his life, even if something we as society deem as, you know, um, kind of distasteful of like robbing and uh, like facing a drug deal and then like fleeing and not seeing your parents. But at least he's doing something. And yeah. that's why it's a happy ending. He says at the end, he, he, like he's very clear, he says, I'm a bad person. But mm. uh, And then he says, but, but that's changed. That's going to change. I'm He's going like, to change. Is it, this is, is the last of that like, sort of thing. I'm, now yeah. I'm cleaning up and I'm moving on. I'm going straight and choosing life. I'm looking forward to it already. I'm going to be just like you. Yeah. And do and you I, believe him or do you think he's going to relapse? I mean, T2 kind of like takes away the choice to a certain extent because you know where he goes. Yeah. But in that moment at the end of Trainspotting, like if the sequel had never happened, like Emma, would you believe, do you do you believe him? Do you take him at his word there? Or do you think it's like him getting off heroin at the start where he's just going to relapse? He's just going to slip back into the patterns or is this a clean break? Well, I think it's really interesting that they just have him randomly doing heroin, both at the end of the first film, to test it out. And it's like, okay, grand. And then, which I really hate it, they just have him and Sick Boy doing heroin in the middle of the second film. No consequences, no repercussions, which I know train spotting is random, but I thought that was really lazy writing. I was like, no, like, you know, because I think it's it's very much setting the, the tone of what, what stage Mark is in by the opening scene of the film, him being on a treadmill. And he's yeah. finally taking, running in place. Exactly. He's taking ownership of his health. He's looking after himself. And I thought it was, what I loved about the second film, I don't love a lot about it. I don't really like it. But what I did like was that the stage that all the characters are at after 20 years is very believable. I, I didn't like, you know, none of it was like, oh God, he'd never be there. Of course, Ivy's in jail. Of course, God is just kind of going around the place. And of course, the sick boy is extorting people um, with money. And I think Mark as well was, Mark was always that cut above, you know, he was always, like, he had the normal parents, he had the loving parents, he was always that, even though he did nothing about it, you could tell he was that bit moral than anyone else, other than Tommy, of course, but more moral. So, I, I, I think when it's over, I think I did imagine him, I think going to Amsterdam makes a lot of sense, and I think maybe he does the odd bit of bump of coke, you know, whatever, no judgment, but yeah, I, I, I think I would have believed that he would have gone and lived a normal life off heroin. Yeah, and then like like I I felt kind of like like w- watching T two I felt kind of more cynical about the the treadmill um yeah. scene because really? it, it felt it felt like like that 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 that's a replacement habit that that's not something yeah. he's doing like you know because you ought to it's it it's him kind of like taking that addict mentality to um. And applying and, it to something that's nominally more socially acceptable. As he says, as he says, when taking the Valium, it's in her own, you know, my mother in her own socially acceptable way is a drug addict. He in his yeah. own socially acceptable way is still an addict. Yeah. 
where yeah. where yeah. where like people who um like Barney Gumbo will drink an awful lot of coffee. Because I think New Simpsons, he's a recovering alcoholic, right? Is he? I think so. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he's like he's now a coffee addict. Um mm. yeah. And 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 that a lot of that it's a it's almost a cliche like the the this idea of like it's like I'm I'm um I'm clean, I I have learned to deal with my addictions, but but that there's um there are still the same patterns, but it it's 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 now kind of like something that nobody is going to give you a hard time over, you know exactly where but exercise you, yeah. does make you feel good. There is a kind of like a, a a runner's high, yeah. But 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 it it's 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 more difficult to get there than with like a with 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 a shot of heroin, and nobody's going to judge you for exactly. um, for being a, a a gym wanker, uh, <laughs> a bro, a fitness bro, a fitness bro. Spot me, yeah. But spot he literally says that in the second film. He says to Spud, "You're an addict. Just be addicted to something else." And Spud says, well, what are you addicted to? And he says, getting away. Yeah. I thought that was interesting because everyone's addicted to something. I'll put up my hand and say I'm addicted to cigarettes and Diet Coke. Like, probably, like, obviously not as much as a heroin addict, but you know what I mean? Like, everyone's addicted to something. Everyone, telly, social media, coffee. And I thought Why that was you... a really interesting. Sorry. Well, yeah. <laughs> I beg your pardon. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I'll stop. <laughs> Please, Andrew. But yeah, yeah, but no true porn. Yeah, that's a great segue into what you were trying to say. Porn, you know, everyone, everyone is a, well. Sorry, that's a bit ignorant. Everyone in the Western world probably um, is addicted to something, and I really like that. Just be addicted to something else. It's just, I thought that, and that's in the trailer. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, like a lot of self help is about kind of building habits. Yeah, yeah. and routine. but making those habits healthier and more sustainable, and as you point out, more socially acceptable, well, and making them stick though. Yeah. Yeah, like the 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 um, so the the that kind of like the 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 because I like I've 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 never been a a um a drug user really, and and I I I think that's kind of like to to be clear for listeners of um our eighteen hour um podcast Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks. <laughs> Alcohol is a drug. Nicotine is a drug. Um, caffeine is a drug. is a drug. So I once spent a summer where um, there was a lot more drinking than I was used to and a lot more uh, smoking marijuana. That's never really done anything for me. Just because it, it kind of puts me to sleep. Um, Easy but, there, David Bowie. Right, but... <laughs> but um, <laughs> But it was the most regimented I've ever been in my life, mm. because I I I would, um, because it was an obligation. <laughs> yeah, I would wake up, go to work, finish work, start drinking, fall asleep, go to work, and and, and repeat. It was like every every uh, every single day, and then days where I wasn't at work would 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 sometimes just be the. Um, like all the other things that I did, whether that was sleep for the entire day or whether that was like drink for the entire day, mm. and that and that's it. It's very um, it's very regimented. 
you don't have to kind of stop and think like, oh, what do I do now? It's like, um, well, that that's the that's the narration that Renton has at the start. And I mean, we'll we'll talk about like the idea. One of the things that is innovative about the movie is that it acknowledges that this is years ago, by the way, <laughs> just to, <laughs> just to um, kind of um, yeah, yeah, to clarify, we're now at we're now at eight a two. Um, yeah. <laughs> this is twenty years later. Andrew is recording this from a treadmill. Um, well, <laughs> But what we like, what I think is important is that like that thing that Andrew's hinting, hinting at there is like, well, ignoring the fact that one of the things the movie does that is innovative is that it shows that drugs are actually like part of the reason why drugs are addictive is because they make you feel really good. Yeah. And it's not all desperation, destitution, which I think yeah. is a level of honesty that, you know, is, is kind of important in movies like this is that it's like you want to understand like empathy, like the key thing to feel We're not towards stupid. a drug addict. Yeah. Hmm. We're not that stupid. We're not that know? stupid. Yeah. We, yeah. But the idea that, you know, for a movie like this to work, you have to feel empathy for these people. That means understanding that, yeah, drugs do feel really good when they give you that sweet high. Mm -hmm. And obviously there are consequences and downsides, but like that's the lore. But there's also the fact that like Renton's argument in favor of heroin is that idea of negation and that idea that Andrew said of kind of regimen where it's like when you're on junk, you only have one worry scoring. And when you're off it, you have to worry about all sorts of other stuff. You got no money. You can't get drunk. You got money. You're drinking too much. Can't get a bird. No chance for a ride. You got a bird. Too much hassle. You got to worry about bills, about food, about football teams, uh, about human relationships Mm. and all the things that really don't matter. Mm. Um, And then, you know, so you have the idea that being, like, that's the thing about the movie is that as much as the movie attracted attention for its portrayal of drug use, for me, it's always been about this idea of you're a teenager or 20 something in the 90s. You're on the cusp of like new labor coming into government. <laughs> cool, Brit- cool Britannia is. A- Sorry, this is where space, Darren gets. Space Darren was saying. D- Darren. Darren- <laughs> Sorry, Andrew was saying that some people are addicted to wanking. So this is my my wankery moment here, and I apologize for it. Um, but it's it, like, you're you're on the new labor are on the cusp of coming into government. Cool Britannia is ruling the waves. The Spice Girls are there. Everybody's prosperous. Business is booming. The economy is thriving, and it's like you can do anything in the world there is no major war raging there's no major existential crisis the soviet union has collapsed liberal democracy and capitalism rule the day your life is entirely your own and entirely in your hands and there's no great struggle that you can use to excuse or to inform or to direct or to guide you all you have is your choice and train spotting. The Great Depression to, is our lives. There we go. That's exactly it. Train spotting is very much tapping into that 90s sensibility of that's terrible. That's horrible. Yeah. It's horrifying that we don't have this defining existential crisis because we have to find meaning ourselves. Yeah. And train spotting is like, man, finding meaning is hard. It's Why that, don't we just reject that idea? It's not Victor Franco, like the whole kind of like idea behind logotherapy. Like the third school of Viennese um, uh, uh, psychiatry is all—it's all about finding meaning, and that's kind of like what he used to survive, uh, mentally speaking, or uh, spiritually speaking, during the Holocaust, and um, that—that's that—that kind of idea of a, a purpose, an unconditional purpose, is what people need. And this is a movie about that because they did and he, he gets it across very well that heroin is a philosophy. It's a comprehensive worldview 
where it's, it's all like, consuming. Yeah. What is the problem with life? The problem is that you don't have heroin. What is the what is the solution? You get it's like heroin. get heroin. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And 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 that um, some formulation of that is is kind of necessary for people to to kind of um, in in some kind of vague sense function. Like there has to be something kind of, and if 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 the world doesn't give you that, you that that you need to kind of like go out and find it, and that you can make mistakes. So like 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 every religion is is a um, well a way of exposing or imposing meaning on the world, trying to to make yeah it make exactly. Sense. And 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 like I would I I think the podcast is agnostic on what is the meaning of life, but um, but it's the, important. The only Monty Python film not to make the two fifty. Um. <laughs> It's important to I I think to have a purpose and to have a purpose that kind of like um works for you and makes your life meaningful and that that and that's what it is. I don't know if I believe that um that Renton will will find that same meaning elsewhere and I wonder what it is because there 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 is there's that real cynicism about it um about that world that he's going to go into. Um but um no, I did. I like, by the way, that you came back to answering the question that we asked half an hour ago. I do appreciate that. Yeah, that was a really was like, nice oh, wow. full was, circle. Yeah. It's like, and that is what I believe the ending means. It's like the end of, uh, not the movie, I don't think. No, I no, I think it might be the end of the movie is um, A Clockwork Orange. Which is a major influence on this movie. Like you even get like the milk bar yeah. scene. There's a very obvious homage to the milk bar scene where it's Tommy and Spud talking while the girls are in the bathroom. And you have the camera pushing in on them. And that's very much oh, that's yeah. very much the shot from a clockwork orange. But the way that ends kind of feels like he's kind of like, Oh, I was um um he's kind of saying I've been cured. Yeah. You know. That I yeah. I'm I'm um, rehabilitated. Um yeah. And you, you're, you're, you're left to kind of wonder, really? <laughs> what does that you really know? mean? Yeah. Let me. Um, are, are, are you, are you, are you, are you actually do, do, are you an unreliable narrator? You know, when, <laughs> when, 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 when you're telling me this, do I, um, do, do I you think believe that it? You found, yeah. Do you yeah. believe it? And even if you believe it, is it true? There are several layers of this question. Right. As in, like, are you buying into this? And is and and yeah. and if you are buying into this and you're happy, is that a good thing? Because <laughs> is, is what you are buying into kind of the kind of bland meaninglessness you know, <laughs> of 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 like you know consumer culture? Um, I love that Andrew's like you know consumer culture on the one hand, heroin on the other. It's you know it's and, but it's funny that those are the kind of alternatives. Yeah, no, I know, I know. In, I, know. In, 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 I mean, like in Fight this. Club is very much like consumer culture on the one hand, the complete abolition of civilization on the other. So it's not as yeah. if it's not as if train spotting is particularly like cynical in its worldview in that sense. Um, I do think we mentioned youth and and kind of that sort of thing. I think it's, I think this is, a, and I think what. And again, we may end up talking about T2 next week. Um, but I think that one of the things that's interesting and kind of makes this... A <laughs> Sorry, Darren, we don't have to do that. <laughs> one of the things that kind of makes this a movie that kind of almost merits a 20-year-later sequel is the fact that, like, this is a movie about youth and you have this whole discussion, like, where Sick Boy and Renton are talking about 
you know, that's the nature of life. You have it and then you lose it. Bowie lost it. Bowie did not lose it. Lou Reed lost it. Uh, you know, George Best loses it. Sean Connery loses it. Like, the name of the rose is just a blip on the downward trend. And the idea is that, like, as a young person, you cannot imagine being old. The The worst thing in the world would be to be an adult, to be uncool, yeah. to have to, like, the, have responsibility. And I think that's part of it. The point about Lou Reed is so wrong, though. <laughs> You just look at that and like kind of that seems to be like one of the like I think he is hanging it a lot on Sean Connery, but I think he makes a lot of reference to Lou Reed and the soundtrack kind of makes the the, uh, the counter argument. Yeah, yeah. It's the argument for the defense kind of like where it's like, what are you talking about? Sick boy. Like, <laughs> but I think with, with George Best as well, George Best didn't like oh, he just, he lost his sporting thing. Like, he drank himself to death. Like, that's different, kind of. Like, I, I thought what the point he was trying to make was, like, people lose their spark. They lose their, um, what makes them different. Like, kind of, they, like, musicians lose their artistry or they lose their genius. But, like, no, I think the point saying that people just make bad decisions. It's all suspected decisions because George Best drank himself to death. Like, he probably would have had been the greatest footballer for mm. longer. But, no, he decided to drink himself to death, which I thought was interesting that they chose... Because George Best is such a through line between both films, even more so in the second film. But I thought that was interesting that they idolise someone who died because of an addiction to a substance. Yeah. Well, you know what I mean. Like, kind of did, yeah. Not only is it not true in respect of Lou Reed, that, like, like, and, um, and I believe Lou Reed is another guy who, 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 who wasn't, like, an especially nice person. Um, and I, I sound like I'm <laughs> trivializing whatever he's kind of like guilty of. I, I am, as far as I can recall, he was just a jerk. But, but there's. I have no idea. Yeah, I've never no, heard of him. And, yeah, and right, Darren is him. furiously Googling, <laughs> <laughs> like, like yeah. how can I, how can I sour people's opinion of Lou Reed? But, <laughs> Jesus, um, thank you, Andrew. <laughs> but, um,. <laughs> Yes, thank you for this, Andrew. Thank you for this. Uh, we, thank you for steering no. the conversation in this direction. No, I'm no. Just going, I'm going to read a headline of an article that we will include in the show notes. Thank Is it you for very bad? Lou Reed was a racist, anti-Semitic serial abuser of women, according to his new biography. According to Howard According Sewell's, to his biography. A new, new, not an autobiography, to be clear, but according to a biography. Oh, that would be kind of impressive if he was like, look, I want to lay things straight. I've done a lot of bad stuff. I remember... Um, I remember but the, it was the, Howard Sewell's notes from the Velvet Underground. The person that I spent yeah. a summer uh, drinking with, kind of back in, I think, like 2009, um, he, uh, one time he said something, and it's like... It's a little bit racist, actually. And he was like, yeah, I'm really sorry. Yeah, it is. Um, I apologize for that. And then, like, subsequently, he said something again that was also, like, a little bit racist. And I was like, that's, uh, that's a little bit racist, isn't it? And he was like, yeah, I'm a racist. I'm sorry. Um, they, they, I, I don't know what point I'm making there, but I'm, I'm imagining um, Lou Reed publishing a biography saying like hey guys i'm a racist i feel much better about it now that it's out there um <laughs> but anyway sorry that's terrible um yeah. yeah um 
But the 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 point was that not only is it not true in respect of like Lou Reed's um artistic, I'm reading the artistic article, output, by the way. I'm reading the thank you for this, Andrew. I want to thank you for drawing this to my attention. Settling. It's not it's not like an ambiguous thing. No, 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 and and yes, yeah, yeah. I I I do beg your pardon, Darren. And no, it's a fair I'm, point. It deserves to be said. It, it, it like it's it's worth I'm sorry for you. my own sake. And but I'm also sorry for your sake, um, and and as I say, I didn't wish to trivialize any of the kind of um, any of and any of those things. But anyway, um, not only is it not true um, artistically speaking of Lou Reed, because I think a lot of his solo stuff is 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 very good. Um, it's it's not true in a general sense. Like I feel Lou like there is plenty of examples. Sorry, I'm just reading the article here. Lou Reed was Jewish. He's a Jewish anti-Semite. He's a Jewish anti-Semite, and he's very explicitly an anti-Semite, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, he called uh, Bob Dylan a pretentious and then um, a slur. Right. Well, uh, Bobby Fischer is another example of a of a Jewish anti-Semite. anti-Semite. Okay. He maybe didn't so, realize he was Jewish, but his mother was Jewish, so he, he, okay, he well, may so, have kind of... Um, sorry, uh, I know this is not that. a fun tangent upon a tangent. Apologies um, to, to Emma and to our listeners. No, I do beg your pardon. It's my, it's my bad. Um, but the, the, the second thing is that it's not true. There's plenty of like counterexamples. It's not, it's not an ordering principle that you can... That you get, I I would say that Neil Young is a counterexample to that. He's an 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 artist who has stayed relevant and has never had like I don't think a dodgy phase. Like people come to his concerts and they're annoyed that he's not playing the hits, and the reason is that he will he he has he has stated publicly that if he ever feels that he's going to the middle of the road, he will ver he will swerve like to 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 the ditch and if you want to come to see his show you better be interested in like you know what 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 he's trying to do creatively and and that that's kind of um i i and obviously like this isn't uh this is being recorded maybe a little while before it's being released but he's still he's still very kind of relevant i think even what principle like he's in he's obviously in the headlines at the moment and he probably will still be in some sort of headlines or at least in the memory uh, when this comes out, um, yeah. But I mean, I I think it's more. I when I when I reference that discussion of like you have it and then you lose it, um, I think that like you have, like it's more that that's encapsulating a feeling when a person. Colonel Sanders. Don't th- I don't. Colonel Sanders never lost it. Well, have no, you seen? Have you seen? Have it. you seen the recipe for murder? No, I haven't. <laughs> Uh, Recipe for Murder is a Lifetime uh, movie starring Colonel Sanders. Um, It's about his development of the chicken recipe and the murder that followed. It's a very saucy kind of pseudo erotic um, kind of thriller based around the life of Colonel Sanders. Um, Andrew, I would have thought this would be like. (laughs) But um, yeah, no, okay. We'll include links in the show notes. Um, It's something to see. Um, Include links as well. There's like a limerick outfit that got the Sanders recipe. Um and 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 they're an edit, uh, have they, like a license made, to made, sell it. They made, they it's made better than Sanders. American KFC. <laughs> the KFC that you think 
is is good is good but there's an even better version that's closer to the Colonel Sanders original recipe right. so, <laughs> sorry anyway, the, point that, <laughs> the point that I was making before we got distracted into talking about hot Colonel Sanders um, is that I think the I don't think the film is making the argument that you have it and then you lose it I think it's more making the argument that like that's a very young point of view yeah that's a point of view that yes. a young person has it's the idea that you get there and you are you know you, you can't imagine growing old um, because you're so young and you're so vital and you're so yeah. obsessed with it's an easy way to think if you are young yeah to yeah. to to kind of see the world through that prism but but it, but that 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 it's very almost kind of teenage yeah yeah and i think that you know you can argue that like um, in a very messed up sort of way renton comes out of like this is a movie about renton growing up and kind of settling down and getting a job and that you know he does terrible, terrible things and horrible things happen to him. And he does horrible things to other people. It's like Emma pointed out, he ruins Tommy's life. He, he That videotape that yeah. he steals has the cascading effect and he sells him his first hit, for example. And like he, Spud goes to prison because of him and all this sort of stuff. But like he manages to like just slip through and somehow grow up and presumably maybe shed this like a skin. Um, yeah. like I think one of the things I quite like about T2 and Andrew, I can confirm we will be talking about T2 next week with Jason Coyle. Oh, wow. Is that, yeah, we, we did that. I, I had the I had my agent talking to him while we were recording this. <laughs> Your people? Um, his people? My people were talking to his people. We made it happen. But one of the things that's interesting about that is that like you don't find out much about Mark's life outside of uh, Edinburgh. Yeah. Like he tells Sick Boy a story and then he tells Sick Boy that that entire story is false. And you never find out whether that story is true or whether that story is false. And I quite like that because it creates the sense that, like, this is just a self-contained bubble of his life. This is a part of his life that he lives through and he may never even, like, touch it again. He may never have to acknowledge that it exists again unless he chooses to go back to it. And I think that's a really interesting aspect of it. But Emma, sorry, is there anything uh, you want to talk about with Trainspotting? Anything we haven't talked about already? Anything jumping out at you? Um, Anything I wanted to... I think... When I watched it most recently, a character that interested me more than any other time before was Sick Boy. I really noticed more things about him, particularly in the opening scene, kind of the, when the opening scene is when Sick Boy is giving, I forget her name, but you know, his girlfriend, his the mother's hit. baby. Allison. The Allison, yeah. yeah, Allison, exactly. And I, I think we're meant to think, I don't know now, but I took it that like that's her first hit. And she is going on about like, oh, it's better than any, you know, whatever, Willie. Yeah, Yeah, better than sex. Sorry, that's a better word for saying this. Better than sex. And he, there's just a second, it's just a flash of utter regret and sadness over a sick boy's face, which I'd never noticed before of like, what have I done? And I thought that was so interesting because sick boy on the surface seems so doesn't think deeply about anything, so unapologetic, so indifferent to morals. But I just thought that was really interesting that for that quick second, you actually see the realisation that what he's done and what he's done to the mother of his child, which I thought was really interesting. And I think, I always forget those monologues that he goes on about pop culture and films. I'm like, oh my God, what is this about? But to me, I actually think it's him trying to avoid talking about his life and his issues. I think he is constantly in a state of denial and he's this kind of, and on the surface, you think he's this kind of whimsical kind of character, more so. He's less grounded than the other characters. But I think it's actually very much deeper in the fact that he knows how awful 
his life is and how awful he or he treats people and you know especially when the reaction to the baby dying is pure tragedy and pure absolute like hatred of himself and sadness so i think i very much saw like a new layer to sick boy watching him more recently and and the need to for mark to say something as well like the, like say something mark um, I know. And, and Mark's no, like, I wish I could say something. Like the th- the thing is, like, should, none of these people are we, able to to externalize their feelings. Like the thing that I think is interesting about Sick Boy is, like, you have that moment where when Renton is talking about coming off heroin, the worst thing is having to spend time with his friends, and the worst <laughs> thing is yeah. the worst thing is how much they remind him of himself. And it's the secret. It's yeah. Renton and Sick Boy. It's yeah. not Renton and Spud. It's not Renton and Begbie. And you get the sense that like perhaps like. There's not, and it's very telling that when you get to T2, the big central tension in the movie is arguably between Sick Boy and Renton and the love and hate that they have for each other and the resentment. Yeah, that they feel. yeah, very and I think, like, you could make an argument that, like, Sick Boy probably has his own version of train spotting playing in his own head where he has his own yeah. monologues that offer right. his own justifications for all that he's doing. And, and it's just because we happen to be in Renton's head that Sick Boy looks or seems so detached. Whereas if you were in exactly. Sick Boy's head, Renton would seem just as cold and cynical. Like and, the loss of the baby and the loss of the girlfriend, are they that much different than the loss of Tommy? Does Sick Boy think... No, and they yeah, compare yeah, that in, in the in, second yeah, film, yeah. yeah. To be clear, exactly, we we should say to our listeners that 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 we aren't criticizing the kind of detachment from um, real important things um, uh, to obsess over pop culture. You should continue yeah. doing that. Yeah, yeah, we're, we 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 support our listeners' choices to to like avoid avoid meaningful interactions and, with human beings and just, yeah, yeah and just listen I'm, to podcasts and watch movies. I mean, the thing that I really hated about Sick Boy was all those monologues about pop culture and the fact that he thought so Same. hard about movies. I just, I couldn't relate to that. It just, it didn't resonate. With that. I was like, yeah. this doesn't feel like a human being. I mean, I don't know who this person is. Um, yeah. But um, Andrew, actually, you kind of mentioned, I think, at the start that you like the movie's politics and maybe we've already talked it through, but I just kind of maybe wanted to come back to that before we wrap up. Well, yeah, no, like it's it's not an easy thing. And I think it's sometimes... I, I, it's something that I kind of wrestle with and it's maybe a bit glib um, and and that maybe I have reasons for feeling that way that I, that I wouldn't feel if, if, if I were another person but that um, I'm, kind, I'm kind of one of these people who feel that um, there people are going to do drugs anyway and I, 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 I think most people will agree with that. And then the disagreement is kind of like, what should we do? And there's a case like if, if, um, if we make it easier, there are certain people who wouldn't maybe have done drugs who will, um, do drugs, um, kind of in in that counterfactual say where all of these things are, are legal and you can choose to kind of like, uh, do heroin and not be like uh, afraid and looking over your shoulder and worried about like a custodial sentence um and where where organized crime isn't kind of like profiting from it and where murder isn't kind of like happening on our streets because of these yeah. things where there isn't the black market um, yeah. yeah yeah exactly but no they 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 i i i 
I think that um, it it's 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 a movie. It's a movie that I like because of my biases and feeling that the 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 war on drugs is um, it's 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 not a war that kind of like society wins. That you that that be 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 because I think uh, like you you can for a certain class of person and. Um, demonization kind of or or, um, othering or othering yeah it is is it's it's not a solution to the problem and there 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 is there's a line kind of from renton where 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 he talks about what is it again it's um propelling yourself with longing towards the day will all go wrong there, there, there is well, again, a, there's that sense of nihilism, yeah. that sense of like you're know, wanting to self-destruct, wanting to implode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, 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 that. This idea that you're, you're, you're going to kind of like wag your finger, tell people like, don't do that. You're, you're, you're very bad if you do that, and nobody should do that. Um, this is wrong. It should be illegal, um, etc. I don't think. It is as persuasive as people think it is, especially for 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 that kind of self destructive. I mean, you have um, the line where he says, "Like we would have shot vitamin C if it was illegal." Exactly. Yeah. 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 Where did where did they, 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 they? And I think for 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 your average kind of law abiding rule uh, abiding um, good citizen, um, those laws. Um, are meaningful and effective, and that they will keep them on the straight of na- and, and narrow, and that will. Why work are you looking for... at me, Andrew? <laughs> well, there's no, there's no law against <laughs> drinking alcohol. <laughs> no, you you don't do that. Um, <laughs> um, uh, there's, there's no law against telling me to. <laughs> to feck off like um, and you don't do that either. So. <laughs> um, um, but no, that 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 it's for me. For me, it's a kind of like an important um, movie and an important kind of message. And I, I guess, I find it difficult to put my finger exactly on what that is, other than to say the way we think about these things. Or sorry, not the way we think about these things, but the way the way these things are thought about. The way these things are thought about. And the way that society reacts to these things might might not be right, and it might not be working, you know, and that um, the people that you're trying to kind of cure or help don't care, um, aren't going to be reached by the way that you're trying to reach. Them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, and again, we we should note the movie was massively controversial uh, when it was first released. Uh, John Hodge, the co-writer, has said he remembered uh, when the movie was released that Radio 4's thought for the day was to pray for all the people who were going to see train spotting, which oh my I kind goodness. of adore. Uh, Emma's face is priceless. Yeah, yeah, this is a BBC radio production. Um, the thought for the day was to pray for all the people who were going to is see this, the film. Because I know BBC 4 do kind of have um, some like kind of you know, uh, religious kind of program. Yeah, it was faith-based. Yeah. It was faith-based. Yeah, yeah, program. yeah. Where did, did, um, you, they, yeah. You also had, obviously, Bob Dole's, like, 1996 presidential campaign, which folded it into a larger culture war, where he singled out, like, Pulp Fiction and train spotting, saying they promoted, and I quote, the romance of heroin. He also pointed to drug what use in the, the music industry. What about the romance of Dole Whip? 
alluding to the heroin-related death of backup keyboardists in the group Smashing Pumpkins. Fashion magazines feature heroines with what is known as the junkie look, Mr. Dole said. Rock musicians create and celebrate a culture of heroin, and some have become role models even in death. Dole apparently even filmed satirical advertisements which in which he wore a, an Iggy Pop for President pin, despite admitting that he had not in fact seen the movie Train Spotting. And I love this quote from uh, Irvin Welsh's kind of like interview leading up to the release of um, T2 in 2017, where he says, Bob Dole was a great thing for us because that's what you want. <laughs> exactly. Donald Trump would be the ideal guy to come along and say, I hate T2. There must be someone. I'm hoping yeah. Mike Pence sees it by accident and comments on it. You want the approval of cool people and the condemnation of an asshole. The condemnation of a prominent asshole is absolutely fantastic, which I kind of... I think um, uh, Mike, Mike Pence's mother, um, who's actually his wife, would like close the door and, and say, no, Mike. Um, he calls his wife mother. Um, <laughs> and somehow that's the most unsettling. Is that true? That is true. Is that true? In fairness. No, no, honestly. In fairness, is that true? yes, that I, is true. I'm not going to vouch for that, but I, the, I trust Andrew, which is maybe a mistake. But yes, I trust the, Andrew on that. He, he does call his wife mother. It's a thing. With with like a, a a lot of those like um and sorry we shouldn't probably go too hard at Mike Pence even though he is terrible, um yeah you did almost they, die last January sixth exactly um, yeah that was the thing is kind of like January sixth kind of like made Pence into some kind of weird hero where where it's kind of like what <laughs> when your boss tries to kill you you tend to become a sympathetic figure exactly um, yeah 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 um. Sorry. All right. I feel like I've defended a lot of things that I shouldn't have. <laughs> um, choose defending Mike Pence. Choose defending Lou Reed. Choose, anyway, but um, okay, before we wrap up, just two more quick things to go because I think we Did haven't you say really choose. Gone. Sorry. Um, <laughs> you, you, did, you did choose. Um, yeah. You made a choice, Andrew. Um, but okay, just just a couple of quick things. Um, Ewan McGregor, I think, is phenomenal here. To to, to to bring it back, I think it's like it's a star making role. Understandably, he oh, was in Shallow Grave, yeah. but this is the one that kind of like really solidifies him. And then obviously, kind of like I love that he goes from this to making Star Wars, uh, which is kind of amazing. I and then yeah, Star Wars nine point nine, and then yeah. Moulin Rouge, yeah. uh, the film of a lifetime in two thousand one. I was like looking at that evolution. I was like, Jesus, who watched Trades by and was like. Obi-Wan Kenobi like I haven't seen those uh, Star Wars films but like still who thought Obi-Wan Kenobi hello there um, yeah I thought Kelly MacDonald was incredible too this yes. was like the wasn't it like introducing Kelly MacDonald her first film she was she was cast when they they sent out flyers um to to local kind of that's incredible and spots, which is like they were looking for yeah. what was she 20 and 19 and they wanted somebody yeah. who was like unknown to audiences so she could convincingly play a teenager as she does here um again yeah. we mentioned like things like Miramax insisting on cutting some of the sex scene um but apparently she invited um her parents to set not realizing that it was going to be the day where they would be filming that scene Oh, gosh. So apparently that is really? her and Ewan McGregor's, one of their favorite memories of filming Trainspotting is uh, Kelly MacDonald's parents <laughs> arriving on set. No. 
Um, oh God! We should also did he um, did he get up like with his with his like prop cod base and like say oh <laughs> hey, 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 hey nice to meet you and yeah yeah Mr. and Mrs. McDay how are you um, his, like uh, beige trunks on um, <laughs> <laughs> um, wearing the kind of robe putting on the kind of robe I mean we we should note as well McDonald as well because she was inexperienced she had a very rough time with the press where uh, I think the 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 star or the mirror or one of the Murdoch tabloids ran a headline train spotting stars druggy nightmare um because they had apparently asked her a question interview if she'd ever done drugs and she said I had a bit of hash and a yogurt once and it made my tummy hurt um and that was apparently that does sound like a druggy nightmare and they uh that does sound it, yeah. I mean, the headline is technically something. true to be fair um yeah also, Kevin McKidd as Thomas, as Tommy, uh, which is interesting because he's a star who didn't really materialize until, no. like, decades later. He's now, with, he's on Grey's Anatomy, yeah. Oh, wow, really? I could not believe that that was Kevin McKidd, or that was Tommy from Trainspotting. Because I remember seeing, I never watched Grey's Anatomy, like, I wasn't a, like, avid viewer, but I remember watching it. I was like, oh, there's that, like, dangerous Scottish guy. Someone was like, yeah, your man from Trainspotting. And I was like, <laughs> no, I, I refuse to believe that that is Tommy. But I, watching it recently, I forgot how gorgeous he is in this. Like, he's so perfect. As angelic. Kind of, like, the, bumbling. The innocent. Like, him. Angelic, but also, like, a massive himbo. But, like, yeah, <laughs> angelic and innocent, but, like, so cute. He's, oh, yeah, I love him in it. Even though, I haven't really seen him in anything else other than Grey's. Yeah, but, I mean, he said that he was too young when he made this and that he, he wasn't able to capitalize on the fame and success as much as he would have liked. Uh, and he's kind of he feels like now yeah. being on Grey's Anatomy, he's kind of at the right level as well. I guess you, you could probably look at this and think like um, with 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 uh, Ewan McGregor's performance, that is an actor with great depth and kind of range. And then you 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 could look at Kevin McCade and and kind of um, and I guess keep looking. You might be forgiven. <laughs> for, no, no, no. I I I don't no, think I that's a problem with his with his performance. Um, but um, that 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 you mightn't um, really kind of um, that he probably hasn't because I mean it doesn't help that he's not the 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 main. Um, well, he's the sacrificial lamb. He's not. Yeah, he's not he yeah. doesn't even make it all the way through the movie. Exactly. The but yeah. and like, and then for like you and Bremner, you have to have like a like a very specific kind of role in mind, where he's more yeah. of a kind of a character actor. Like you're you 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 you're you 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 have you you're you're not necessarily making him the lead. I suppose you could like make him a lead in a comedy or what's Darren going to say? Yeah, do you not he, know this? Yeah. Do you not know this? Uh, yeah, he was, go. Mark yeah. In the, he was Mark um which I always think was at a point of um contention. Yeah. Uh you you and Bremner was Mark Renton in the stage play. Trace Bunny was originally a stage play before they did the film. Oh wow. And Ian Bremner was Renton. Yeah. And then obviously he got you know what's so funny is that you McGregor then got you and Bremner. Like, you know, they brought on Ewan McGregor because he was the biggest, bigger star. And then Ewan Brenner was like, you know, shot to the other role. And then Ewan McGregor got pushed off the beach. So both of us are going Danny wow. Boyle just loves <laughs> shunting those actors around. Not many, people, not many people know, but Leonardo DiCaprio was flying out to the UK when Danny Boyle sent him a text message saying, sorry, you got Killian Murphy. Um. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You're, exactly. You and you're, you're Edinburgh Fringe, Hodge. <laughs> Yeah, it did. Um, <laughs> like, 
Yeah, but but you and McGregor, but, but Leonardo DiCaprio is is like you know, world. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. but you McGregor is a thousand times hotter than Leonardo DiCaprio. Just putting that out there. As a, I agree. As a I like I I I don't think. No, 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 absolutely. Like the the um. I mean, I shouldn't say this with my with my fiance, kind of like within um, earshot, possibly within earshot. But if uh, if somebody held a gun to my head, probably Leo. He he feels like the kind of person who would do that and says, "It's, it's yeah. either me, me, or or you and I." Be like, "Well, you and of you course, of course." Even yeah. though, like, I know his private life. I, I'm people are like, "Oh no, you McGregor's cancelled because he had an affair." I'm like, if you are going to start disliking celebrities based on be, like having an affair, then you can't like any celebrity because they're all cheating on each other left, right, and center, including the women. So, like, I'm obviously going to hate a celebrity if they, I don't know, rape someone or molest someone or sexually assault someone. But you and McGregor having an affair and then having a child with a new younger wife, I'm like, I don't care. I don't be gold. But like, Dar- Darren is about to reveal sordid details of this very affair. No, thing. I am uh, not. I am not. If you, if you want... McGregor a rapist. No, what? no, no I don't ask okay. this question. Don't say sorry, those words. Sorry, sorry. I beg your pardon. That's my fault. I, 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 I blame, I blame myself. No, it's, okay, it's. What I was going to say was that, like, Ewan McGregor might have baggage like that, but it's not as if Leonardo DiCaprio doesn't have baggage that is like skillfully represented in a graph that is the Leo girlfriend cutoff graph. Exactly, 25. Like, I'm almost too old to go out, and not that he would have me anyways, because like, look at the before he could but still, creep. I'm sorry, I'm not okay. I I don't want to judge people by how they look, but like, obviously, celebrities are put up to be judged. Like, you know, that's, that's what we do. For them, we judge them. Leonardo DiCaprio is not that good looking anymore. Like everyone's like, "Oh my God, Leonardo DiCaprio, great! He's great, like gorgeous looking in Romeo and Juliet and Titanic." He is just like a normal man now. Like I don't know why everyone's still obsessed with him. Yeah, he's a great actor, but like people are still spoon over him. I'm like, you can do better. But he's like, Leonardo DiCaprio now. It's nostalgia, isn't it? It is, it's total nostalgia. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, like, like I, I feel like Leonardo DiCaprio is kind of probably looking at everybody and thinking kind of, um, is this not what I'm meant to do? Um, <laughs> <laughs> as in like, sorry, sorry. Um, I, I, well, I mean, there, there is like, again. It, 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 well, it, the crazy thing is that like, there's this idea that like, um, Leonardo DiCaprio is famous for being the only, um, uh, uh, man uh who's a like hollywood actor who 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 are 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 um the only male celebrity andrew who who has girlfriends far younger than his own andrew i want you to stop this conversation now and i want you to think to how we got to this i do beg your pardon what was the jump off point to getting to that observation about leonardo dicaprio it was another actor who was having an affair with a woman who was far younger than him it's not, I don't think it's a double standard. I don't. I don't think it's. No, no, absolutely. But the 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 the, the um the like. Andrew's like, but what about the women and the younger men? Like the, Why can't we talk the, about the this? likes of Keanu Reeves yeah. are like 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 um are exceptions because they they like will date age appropriately, um um yeah. yeah. So all right then. Um, Sorry. I, I, <laughs> 
I did, Great way. I did have some anecdotes I wanted to share, but I'm not I do sure. beg your pardon. I'm very oh, sorry. Please. Sorry. No, you McGregor is not okay. No, were you going to say you McGregor is a bad person? No, 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 no. Okay. No, no, okay. no. Like, I was just going to make the observation that what, what Emma said about you and Bremer is right. And I love that apparently for about like 15 minutes, Bremner was like really ticked that they didn't offer him the role of Renton. Really? Apparently he considered like not taking the role of Spud out of spite. Where he's like, I played the role of Renton on stage. Why can't I play the role of Renton on screen? Yeah. And then luckily he said, luckily I thought better of it. Um, but Thanks. Yeah. What else did he do? I... Pearl Harbor. <laughs> hey, don't forget Alien versus Predator and Wonder Woman. I think. Woman. Yeah, he sees the Scottish guy in Wonder Woman. That's right. I swear to God, that has the most random cast. Like, who thought David Thewlis could be a DC villain? Like, I love David Thewlis, but it's just so random. Andrew's description of a Savile Row Magneto is basically the one that sticks with me. He's Savile Row Magneto. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, and then we should also mention, like, apparently, you and McGregor are talking about his relationship with Danny Boyle, where he was off. He was shown yeah. the script, and he was said, "Look, we just want you to read the script because we think it's a good script. We are not." offering you a part in this movie which according to McGregor felt really passive aggressive at the time so apparently McGregor went and lost massive amounts of weight and even like he went he was interviewing with with Boyle and he got the sense that the interview wasn't going well like he really wanted Renton and he was he was already kind of like skinny and he'd already lost all this weight and like halfway through he was like actually you know what Renton should be a skinhead and he goes out to the barber then and there and shaves his head. And apparently his agent no was way. like, Jesus Christ, Ewan, what have you done? Have you thought about what happens if you don't get this role? It's you are unemployable. Thing. Yeah, sorry. Going back to Keanu Reeves. <laughs> That's what his agent said when he when he cut his hair for for um, speed. Yeah. Because he, he spent time with like all of the kind of SWAT teams and stuff. And he was like, oh, they all have buzz cuts. And then he cut his hair and people were like every all his managers and agents and everyone were like, no. Have, and the studio was like, no. What have you done yeah. to that precious luscious locks? But yes, apparently his agent wanted him to be the next Mr. Darcy. That was right. apparently what what you and McGregor's agents oh. had in mind for him. So apparently this was quite the left turn. All right, then. Is there anything else we're talking about? Anything we haven't discussed already? So Emma, anything you want to say about train spotting too? Sorry, you McGregor is my Mr. Darcy. Like, that still happens. Like, Christian in Moulin Rouge is, like, a better Mr. Darcy than any Mr. Darcy. So I just want to put that out there, that he is. Okay. He is who I think of. McFadden, that was a safe call. But any, if you're throwing Firth into the mix, that's, this is just, that may be the most controversial no. thing anybody has said on this podcast. I mean the character. I mean the character. Like, you know, I love Jane Austen, but like, whatever, Mr. Darcy. But no, like, Christian from Moulin Rouge is the guy I think of, like, spooking me up. Even though that story is so sad, but still. No, no, no. Sorry. Obviously, Matthew McFadden, Colin Firth, great actors, love the session. But, no, I'm, I'm talking more about the character. But, and what I'm trying to say is, I love you, McGregor. And I still, like, he, like I, I really felt, I felt like it was very respectful, or like, really great to look back at his career. So I watched Halston recently. He is just such a good actor. Like, he's so, um, oh, what's the word? Versatile. You can do That's absolutely, exciting, yeah. yeah, you can lead, like, this big budget film. Like, Big Fish is one of my all-time favorite films. And it really is kind of from him. He's just so, something so magical about him on screen, even if he's, like, shooting up heroin or he's singing and dancing with Nicole Kidman. He just, there's a breeze life with everything he does. And, like, oh, he's one of my favorite actors. Sorry, in terms of train spotting too, 
yeah, I personally didn't like it. I was really surprised to hear Andrew liked it because I always think with train spotting and train spotting two, it's a push and pull type of thing. The less you like the first one, the more you like the second one. So I think any diehard fan of the first one hates the second one. I don't know why that's always my head. I can definitely see that. Like the the yeah. the, the the kind of um, uh, obligatory kind of recreation of yeah. the the. Um, the imagined past, the monologue. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. That sequence. Choose it. It feels tokens. very kind of um, fan servicey, and so fan servicey. Yeah. I'm sorry. Have you ever noticed that scene? The ADR. So did you? I remember watching it re- last night. And I was like, I had the same reaction in the cinema. The recording of their voices is so badly like done. Did you notice that at all in that scene? It's been a while since I saw it. I think I, I think okay. I saw it when it was out in cinemas. Um, yeah, it's but it's, you're right. It's so fan servicey. But I, I, kind of, I, yeah. I felt like I was being shot, you know, with it into my veins, and I, 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 I felt like the movie kind of like knew that it was kind of that it had to sort of do this that people would be expecting it and it's like it's just yeah. kind of got like do it and get it out of the way but at the same time I was kind of like yes <laughs> um, now I'll <laughs> yeah, be interested no, that's the push and pull I'll that be Emma interested kind of says, to, 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 to watch it again week, yeah. and actually see if I feel the same way yeah. but like, there's um, no reason for Kelly McDonald to be in it like Kelly McDonald's character really adds nothing but she's in it because she can be in the trailer if a film is made for trailer I think Okay, I'm worried now that this is going to turn into a discussion of FT2 and myself and Andrew should probably save some of it for next week. <laughs> I know, but I regret. No, uh, no, yeah. no, 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 not at all. But I, I do, I think the Kelly MacDonald stuff serves a very, it has a very strong purpose. Like she gets one line in particular that I think is the heart of the movie. Her final line to Mark, I think, is the heart of the movie. And she also serves as a very effective metaphor for somebody who's not caught in the pull that the other four major characters are and so serves as a contrast to that um that line by the way andrew is she's too young for you Mm. um which i think is one of the most revealing lines in the movie and probably the the heart of the movie in some senses um sorry to spoil the movie that we may be talking about (laughs) next week or to play my hand a little bit early um before we go then, last thing I want to say um to bookend it because we started talking about danny boyle as a director i find it interesting that boyle as an auteur, we mentioned very dependent on writers and these long partnerships he has with people like John Hodges and people like Alex Garland. But he has this theme through his work of young men feeling listless and kind of looking for purpose and trying to make sense of the world. And I think of things like Train Spotting is a big example, A Life Less Ordinary, which is another, the next collaboration he makes with Ewan McGregor, which is like people being confused and trying to make sense. The Beach, which is these people who are basically dropping out of civilization and society as well. You could argue yeah. it's there in 28 Days Later as well, possibly in Slumdog as well. You can see elements of it in Steve Jobs, where like the guy who's dropping out of society is the guy who's remaking society. Um, yeah, I yeah. find it interesting that like Boyle has that through line, and you can trace it all back to uh, to train spotting. But we don't have time to unpack all of that. So I do um, beg your pardon, <laughs> <laughs> for what? No, um, I'm 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 sorry. I've talked I've talked a lot of nonsense. Beg me, smoke some bed. He smokes in bed. Oh, it's inappropriate yeah, smoking. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and do we we get food waste? I think oh, we, we did. We, all we, the we, poop. Did, we talked about the poop. Yep. The yeah, poop. that's a fair point. And we did get the RoboCop reference because they shot in a cigarette factory where RoboCop shot Clarence Boddicker, apparently. 
Um, I do like it when you do production research, Andrew. I'm not going to question it in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> All right, then. What we normally do at the end of the podcast is we ask our guests to recommend something, something they're enjoying at the moment, something that's bringing them pleasure, something they think listeners might enjoy. It could be related to the movie. It could be something completely unrelated to the movie. So to give Emma a chance to think about it, I'm going to ask Andrew to go first. So if you are, I guess, a 24-year-old um, that this kind of movie is pitched at, then... Um, I was going to recommend something that I enjoyed before I knew better. Um, not something that These I'm are currently always enjoying. And, and it's something that um, that is about addiction. And it's written by somebody who didn't let the truth get in the way of a good story. It's, it's James Frey's A Million Little Pieces. Um, subsequently was revealed that a lot of it was fabricated. It was it yeah, was it was it, it was it was it was marketed as a memoir. Now when I read it it was a memoir. And then subsequently I think he, he went on like Oprah and all of that sort of stuff and, <laughs> and uh it was kind of disgraced. I think he still has a career. Anyway, um I enjoyed it. And I, 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 I enjoyed it. What I, I was in holiday. I was on holidays in Spain, sitting by a pool, drinking and smoking, and 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 reading about like this person's um, uh, uh, drug nightmare, <laughs> which may, which maybe part of it didn't happen. Your poolside uh, read, yeah, yeah, yeah. Part parts of it had he. I I think he said had had been uh, sensationalized for a literary effect. Um, I don't know if I'd recommend that or if I were to read it today, would I enjoy it? But um, I do know that I enjoyed it at the time. And this made me think about it for some reason. Not that it's very similar at all, but um, it, I was trying to think of drug things. I also listened to some Alice and Janes, which aren't bad. The, um, uh, and Danny Boyle as well, um, 28 Days Later, that we've mentioned uh, uh, before, I think is terrific. Um, and I, th- I think Killian Murphy in that is 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 tremendous, mm. and the the end of that movie, not the not the very end, the although act, I enjoy that. The third act is, is the bit just where incredible. the bit where you you discover that like Colonel Henry West would now have a syndicated column in the New York Times. Exactly that, that section of the movie. yeah yeah yeah. Mm. Then and they but um, and aside from all that, um, I think I'll I'll recommend a a a Goldcrest movie that I think was. Uh, one of my favorite movies um, of of all time ever. I don't think that's um, the case anymore, and I, I should probably revisit it because I own it. Is uh, the mission uh, oh, from, from great soundtrack? Great, yeah, fantastic soundtrack exactly. Yeah, the, 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 a fantastic soundtrack by Ennio Morricone, um, a fantastic cast, yeah, and um, two with great performances, Jeremy Irons yeah. and um, Robert De Niro. Um, and it's a very um, uh, kind of deep um, spiritual movie. I think it 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 kind of relates a lot to. I remember thinking of a a um, a particular line from it when while we were discussing this movie that the 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 kind of a cynical line of we live in the world, the world is thus. Um, mm. And um, I, 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 I think it's I think it's a beautiful movie. 
it's another thing. It's another piece of culture that I probably haven't revisited in a while. Mm. But um, I, I just kind of discovered that it was a, a, a another kind of gold crest one. It is gold crest, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Crest. Exactly. Um, so I'd recommend that because I, I think it's kind of a little bit forgotten about now. Everybody knows Gabriel's oboe, but it's kind of like it's like Michael Nyman's kind of theme from the piano. People know that, but they maybe haven't seen that. Because why would you watch an erotic thriller? Another recurring 250 trope is Andrew pushing hard for the return of the erotic thriller or drama. Um, (laughs) But uh, so, Emma, what would you recommend? What are you enjoying at the moment? Well, I was just thinking, what am I enjoying? And it turns out the program I'm watching and the book I'm reading are both very much drug related. Um, Like every person of my generation, I'm watching Euphoria, um, which, as I think about it now, definitely draws it off from train down to the moral panic yeah like do you agree like Completely. Like the way in which we, the way in which people talk about euphoria is the way in which they talked about train spotting, where it's corrupting the youth's minds, it's glamorizing sex and it's glamorizing drugs. Like, yeah, that's a very, very good cut. Sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll let you kind of. I'm unaware yeah, of it. Is. That's very simple. no, but like it's yeah, it's so interesting because I tried to not watch Euphoria for ages because I thought it was going to be this like very glamorizing way of doing drugs like because as much as skin is such a cultural moment and such a pivotal moment in kind of the evolution of british television it was very glamorizing but euphoria oh, is totally. completely different to that totally like and i thought rue who's the central character in euphoria played by zendaya was going to be like the cool girl effie like you know because i something i've always really felt strongly about is the glamorization of the sad girl in film and tv like the sad hot girl who was so fucked yeah! up and she's waiting for a guy to come save her. I've always hated that trope. But you don't get any of that in Euphoria. It's much more modern. It's much more progressive. And you can see, I see a lot of parallels between Renton and, and Rue, who's the main character, like very passive, kind of lets life kind of glide by. But then her life is transformed when she meets kind of the girl of her dreams and jewels. And it's not just about her, it's about all the different characters. But the really, really interesting look into drug use, especially very much a post 9-11 look at drug use. Like if that's the very start of the first episode, Rue was born three days after 9-11 and that kind of societal anxiety kind of manifested itself into her and, you know, and then it also talks a lot about the kind of like prescription drug kind of epidemic in, in America. Exactly. Like she starts drugs because her dad is dying from cancer and he just has, you know, Valium and those different drugs there. And it talks about the access to, to drugs. Like, you know, if I was 16, I didn't know what value was. Like, you know, and that's Ireland, but in America, everyone knows what value is. So I think it's a really interesting look to the modern way of kind of drug addiction, especially in teenagers. And then the book I'm reading is called White City by Kevin Power, who wrote, you know, Bad Day and Black Rock, that then turned into yes. the film by Lenny Abramson, What Richard Did. It's based on the true case. And that's about this kind of um, 20-something South Dubliner with a really privileged life his dad is like you know a big finance guy and then his dad's all his assets are frozen because his dad is an embezzler and it's about him trying to re kind of acclimate into a life that he's been able to avoid you know he has no money now and he does that by turning to drugs and drug dealing and it's always really interesting especially set in dublin um i think that's another really good way of looking at it more in like a local sense and then as much as I love Danny, sorry, the last thing I'll say, as much as I love Danny Boyle, I do think there is a lack of good female characters, I have to say. Yeah. 
like throughout his films. I don't, I, you know, that's fair. Except for Twenty Eight Days Later, but you know, in like in that film, that's the one yesterday. Lily James is like the, the cutesy little primary school teacher. Diane is given a lot of development. So I think if you want to see a film like Train Spotting that centralizes more on women, a really good one to look at is Fish Tank, which is directed yeah. by Andrea Arnold. That's the one with Michael Fassbender. Being... I know it's terrible exactly. to name the male lead, but that's his. But no, person. it is known for being like the first big film that Michael Fassbender did. And that's another film that's really like, it's not trying to talk about, it is talking about class, but it's not, almost like it's, like it's not trying to be. It's just so happy. It's a coming of age film that just so happens to be set in the class in London amongst the working class. And it's not so much about drug use, but it's about coming of age in really horrible environment. And it's absolutely fantastic. And I would recommend that if someone wants drink spotting with a more of a female perspective. And that's all. <laughs> uh, in terms of recommendations for myself when I was preparing for this podcast I watched Train Spotting a few times because of course I did but I also found myself going on a big binge of Danny Boyle movies and I do yeah. love 28 Days Later I do love Sunshine Sunshine's one of my favourite science fiction movies of the past of the 21st century I think it's mm. absolutely stunning I rewatched it I think it's absolutely beautiful I think they're both 28 Days Later and Sunshine are kind of an interesting counterpart where they're both like post 9-11 trauma kind of stories where 28 yeah. Days Later feels like it's an immediate visceral response to to 9-11 because the handheld footage the video footage looks a lot like it there's a sense of like senselessness and we can't trust the military and all that sort of stuff and then sunshine becomes this weird metaphor for how we end up believing the most irrational and insane things uh, when we're confronted with events that are so much larger than our capacity to understand and they become this kind of like nice duology that I think works really well I really love those I also quite like Steve Jobs and I will give a shout out to Trance which is like a trashy B-movie. I think it might technically slip in by a technicality into the erotic thriller zone, Andrew, just to make a note of it. Um, Okay. If I told you what trance was about, it would ruin the experience. Um, But if you want... Trance is the kind of movie where if you describe the premise of the movie, you will go, that is so stupid. And you will be entirely correct, but it kind of just commits to the premise of that stupidity. And it's really good. It's really trashy. It's got James McAvoy in there. It's got Rosario oh, Dawson in there. Oh, it's no got, more. I think, Mark Strong. It's got like it's got this really strong cast. It's very pulpy. It's very trashy. Um, and Speaking I, I actually, of Irvine Welsh, uh, James James McAvoy, kind of yeah, well, and filth. Oh, it's Vincent Cassell. Filth. Sorry, for some reason I digitally replaced him in my head. That is that is Vincent Cassell is the other person in that movie, not Mark Strong. Apologies for that. Oh um, yeah. But yeah, so I would I would wholeheartedly recommend that. Um, so that's that's kind of really it in terms of recommendations for myself. So Emma, if people are looking for you online, where can they find you? What you do and what you up to? Um, so I'm a features editor at Collider, which is a website mainly based in America, and we you know provide all sorts of news and features on television, movies, and video games. And I've written a few pieces for there, so definitely check out Collider. And yeah, I. I tweet some shite on Twitter, nothing too special, but yeah, it's Emma Kylie uh, zero on Twitter. And yeah, that's where you can find me. Perfect. Um, we'll, we'll include all that in the show notes as well. So thank you very much. And thank you very much for taking the time to talk. It's been a much longer episode than I expected it was going to be. Absolutely. <laughs> I apologize for that, Emma. Uh, no, I love every so- second. Thank you. <laughs> if um, after three, if after, it, it, yeah, no, thank, thank, thank you so much, Emma. Yeah, and we we are hoping if you if you're still game after this, we are still hoping to have you back later in the year for a frankly insane idea that I think Andrew proposed. I can't wait. I Something we can really sink our teeth into with a bit of love. Yeah. You know? 
It'll be a real sink or swim moment, you know? Um, I mean, I think when you pitched that, we had to go to the shark tank. Um, I don't know how many more of these I can get. Are you still jawing on about this? Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I can't think of one. (laughs) Sorry. And with that, the pun run is Finn, I'm afraid. Um, Oh, my God. Sorry. I'm sure sure when we announce, it'll make a big splash. Um, All right. I can't say I'm drawing a blind. Oh, it's, leave it, leave it. it's okay. It's okay. It's where Darren this derives is, this his is my meaning. One, this is my one thing I can do. This is my addiction. This is, yeah, this is it. It's like, this is what I, I do to escape. I, I don't choose life. Why would I choose life? Why would I do a stupid I thing like that fun. when I can just pun? Um, um, but meanwhile, you can follow us. We're at the 250. We're on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, and iTunes. We're on Podlink. Please feel free to rate, review, uh, subscribe. Um, a lot of people seem to be listening to us lately, which is fantastic. So thank what? you very much. Assuming you, you must are still be our fantastic to- guests. Yeah. Uh, well, no, it, yeah. it, it, it actually really is. Um, but yeah, so, so thank you so much to everybody as well. And we will be back next week with a special episode covering a movie that is not on the list. Apparently, we negotiated it entirely during this three-hour podcast. Uh, hopefully, Jason Coyle will be joining us to talk about T2 train spotting. Until then, take care, guys. Bye. Thanks so much, Darren. Thanks, Emma. Thanks, Bye. Emma. Thank you.